Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Midday show and after a week without getting to hear my voice or maybe better said having to hear my voice on this program you get me Greg Rakestraw between now and three o'clock and perennially this is one of the days that if you're in the sports talk radio business you tend to kind of dread hopefully you quickly realize I'm not digging ditches for a living I'm getting paid to talk about sports for a living. Life is pretty easy. But in the days of the content bag being a little bit thin, this is one of them. Frankly, tomorrow tends to be worse. And it is the all-star break. It is the one kind of breather we get from sports for the most part um, over the course of 365 days. Yes, there was an all-star game last night. Yes, I watched parts of it. Um, I think I'm obligated by law. If I'm doing a show the day after the all-star game, I'm going to open the show talking about the all-star game because it's kind of all you've got. Like the only other places in the country that maybe wouldn't leave with all-star game conversation today would be places where their NBA Summer League team played last night. So maybe you want to talk about that. Um, or in Chicago, we're going to talk about the Northwestern situation. I may or may not get into that at some point in time today. I'm sure I will. Um, not exactly sure what all there is to say on that subject, to be blind. There's plenty to say on that subject, and I'll get to that at some point in time sooner rather than later. But I'll get to my guest first, and that'll kind of give you an idea of some of the topics that are percolating in my mind Then we'll get to All-Star Game, and then we'll get to whatever it is that you want to talk about, and potentially a subject that I stumbled upon via a Twitter post I had yesterday that um, got surprisingly a lot of traction and is something that this event that was near and dear to my heart, it was wonderful to see so many fond memories of it, and I can't believe it's been 14 years since the last one. You can probably figure out what I'm talking about if not. I'll clue the rest of the group in coming here in in just a matter of moments. First of all, here's the guest list for today's show. Uh, The brand new grandfather. He's already been a granddad, but just had one added into the family line. You better know him as the television voice of the Indiana Pacers. Now, for nearly 20 years, Chris Denary will be joining us. In fact, he will join us in the next segment of the show. Pacers play in summer league action again tonight. Some of the names and faces you have seen the first couple of games of the Summer League probably aren't going to be playing this evening. Uh, It's team shutdown for some of the guys that I'm not sure needed to be there in the first place. Andrew Nemhard, Benedict Matherin. I could make more of a case for Isaiah Jackson getting some run, but you know what you have in the first two, and you know they're going to be key pieces of your team going forward. We'll talk about that with CD coming up in the very next segment of the show. Whenever I am involved with the program, you know that soccer is probably going to be brought up in the conversation, that I will find a way to work it in, or someone will call into the show at 
317-239-1070. Or hit me up on Twitter at Greg Rakestraw. Or email the program to greg at 1070thefan.com. And knowing that I'm the high school sports guy, I'm the soccer guy, I'm a Colts guy, those topics, Colts pop up with anybody in this market. Other two tend to get directed towards me. Well, uh, the Indy 11 do have a match tonight against the Charleston Battery. 7 o'clock, my Indy TV, ESPN+. Plus. Um, it's a midweek match. There will always be good seats available. Come on down and join us if you would like. If not, watch from your Barco lounger or your couch on ESPN+, Plus or my Indy TV, and we'll have you covered with the words and pictures. But the Women's World Cup now is, as I count fingers and toes, nine days away from starting from Team USA. Um, and Vietnam is the first opponent. The location is New Zealand and Australia, which is a wonderful place to go. Also an overly warm place this time of year. Frankly, it's a great destination for the World Cup, except for the fact that the matches are going to be like overnight. Uh, first couple of matches actually are 9 p.m. starts, so not terrible. There's a 3 a.m. or in there somewhere that uh, I'm going to have to wake up and watch that one on DVR. I think my days of... Uh, like stay like getting up to watch a sporting event at three are probably past me at this point. There's an occasional game or two where my Colts post game show duties take me till three o'clock. At that point in time, I'm like six Mountain Dews in. I'm already awake. Specifically hitting the alarm clock for two fifty five. Yeah, probably gonna pause on that one. Well, we in Indianapolis have been lucky that we've had not one but two recent World Cup team members that hail from Indianapolis. Lauren Chaney, now Holiday of Ben Davis, Lori Lindsay of Pike. Lori, these days, makes her living her post-playing career talking about soccer, uh, primarily on Apple TV MLS Season Pass. Well, Lori will be joining us during the 1 o'clock hour of the show. She's heading over to Australia and New Zealand in just a couple of days. So we still get her while she is stateside. Uh, For those of you that are Soccer Saturday fans, you will hear a portion of our conversation today on the show coming up on Saturday morning. Lori Lindsay coming up at 1 o'clock. You know, a couple of weeks ago, now that I have been doing this mostly on a uh, regular weekly basis over the last, say, five to six weeks, um, there are certain topics that, uh, that have been kind of easy for me to fall into. And because the Reds have been so fun to chat about, for the better part of the last four or five weeks, I've like tapped into all of my Cincinnati friends to have them on the show. When I've got a couple of former co-workers in Charlie Clifford and Olivia Ray, formerly both of Wish TV, now of Channel 5 in Cincinnati, you know, those were the easy marks. I literally at one point heading into those conversations said, man, my buddy Mo Eggers got it easy these days. If you don't know Mo, Mo has made many appearances on ESPN Radio nationally over the years. Um, what JMV is to Indianapolis, Mo is to Cincinnati. He is the guy that is the unquestioned afternoon drive voice of sports, the sports conscience of the community. Well, actually, then does some work with the University of Cincinnati athletics as well. Moe's a talented dude. And Mo is going to join us coming up at 1.30 because I think I said, again, man, it must be good to be Mo Egger these days. Think about it. The Reds are suddenly the most interesting team in baseball. They went from the witness protection program to trying to get a ticket to the Taylor Swift concert. That is the transition the Reds have made like that. 
I mean, think about what everybody in the sports world was talking about on Saturday afternoon. Did you see Ellie De La Cruz steal home? When you can trot out stats like saying he's the first red to steal second, third, and home in the same at-bat in 104 years, you tend to get people's attention. Oh, and they get like national soccer team games down in Cincinnati now. The United States men's team, great match against Canada on Sunday night. Uh, Guatemala, Jamaica preceded that one at TQL Stadium. FC Cincinnati is like top of the pops in the Eastern Conference right now. Oh, the Bengals in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Hey, Cincinnati's now in the Big 12. Do you see why it's good to be Mo Egger these days? There, there's no June swoon in terms of things to talk about in, in the city 100 miles to our southeast. So Mo will join us coming up at 1.30. And Kevin Lee, in advance of not just IndyCar in Toronto, going around the streets of Exhibition Place on Sunday afternoon, but because of the All-Star game last night, trackside with Kevin and Kevin is this evening at 7. So Kevin will join us at 2 here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. So clearly, all of those topics are in play today. If there is something else that you would like to talk about, again, the phone number, the host of this show changed, the phone number does not. 317-239-1070, at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter, email the program, greg at 1070thefan.com. So let me do what is obligated by law in the Sportscasters International Brotherhood Union, um, patent pending on that. Um, I have to talk about the All-Star Game at least a couple minutes off the top of the show, right? Um, Yes, I wish... They let the players wear their own uniforms. I understand why they now have different uniforms for the All-Star game because it's all about selling you new gear and trying to make money off of that. Uh, Because I am above the age of 14, I thought that the black pants uniforms looked awful. Um, They're not designed for me. I didn't so much as mind the home uniforms, it was kind of somewhere between Seattle's normal colors and like the old Florida Marlins teal. I did dig the hats, though. I thought the hats were cool. They probably, they're probably, if if I can find a size in my bucket head, which is like an eight, and by the way, I said bucket in case you're only half listening. Um, I, I'll quote a 30-year-old random movie. My head is the size of Sputnik. So trying to find fitted hats for me, problem. Uh, if I can find some of those all-star lids in size eights, I'll probably get one because I thought they were really cool. Um, but at the end of the day, do I wish they'd let them wear their own uniforms? Yes, that is part of the fabric, literally the fabrics of this game. And what you remember as a kid watching the all-star game is seeing 26 or 28 or 30 or whatever, how many of our teams were playing in Major League Baseball whenever you were a kid watching the All-Star game, because really, that's what the All-Star game is about. They've been doing this now for several years. I love the conversations that they have during the course of the game. And that's kind of extended into spring training. Heck, there are times you have that during regular season games in the national level. I get that, and I'm cool with it. This is the game to experiment with that in terms of the all-star game. Um, My baseball viewing before the Reds got going about a month ago has probably regressed back to the point 
of me actually needing to watch the All-Star game. Because now I have been doing some variation of this, yapping with you on the radio or yapping about games on television, the internet. Uh, I've been doing this now for a quarter century. So, you know, everybody's fandom changes, let alone someone that does this for a living. So I'm sure I trotted out a take in 2006 and said something similar in 2013. Probably brought it back in 2019 that I am not the target demographic for All-Star Games. To some degree, I'm not the target demographic for All-Star Games because of my age. But the reason I would say that back then is like, listen, I'm checking the box scores. I'm checking the standings. Whether it's working at a radio station that carried the Cubs when they were good, whether it's working at a station that carried the Reds when they weren't very good, uh, but were, were heading in the right direction. In other words, I had an investment, not just of, hey, I might make some money off of this, not from a gambling perspective, but because if the team's good, we can sell more spots. Hey, people are listening, and hey, everybody wins at the radio station when that's the, when that's the case. Uh, that was why for a period of time, I was very invested in the Cubs. That's not been the case for 10, 15 years. Like, ah, okay. Um, my emotional investment in the Reds had waned. And I tell this story all the time. I'm like, listen, I'm used to the Reds losing. Like, I grew up hearing about the big red machine. And I can, like, tell you about the big red machine from, like, reading about it, watching highlights, what friends of mine who are also Reds fans can tell you about one of the greatest lineups ever put together. But no, the first year I was a Reds fan, I got to see guys like Paul Householder and Eddie Milner and the next year it was Gary Reedus and Ron Oster, and then like the very end of Johnny Bench. And my first memories of guys like uh, Doggy and Pete Rose and Joe Morgan were playing for like the Phillies or other teams. Like I knew they once played for the Reds, but they were no longer playing from the Reds by the time I started watching. The first year I watched the Reds in 82, they won, they won 61 games. Or something along those lines. Maybe I'm off by a few games, but that's the way, that's the number that I've had seared in my brain over the course of the last four decades. And after the Reds made a playoff run in 2020 in that short, everybody in season, but then proceeded to not re sign guys and simply jettison others, I have never checked out as much on the Reds as I have the last two years, where I didn't have a desire to go to a game. I, I I really did not care. I watched a minimal amount of Major League Baseball. MLB had lost me. It was as much for the things that was going on in my life, but primarily, you've heard the phrase, all politics are local. I kind of think that a lot of baseball is local too. Like that your amount of time spent watching baseball is, do I think my team has a chance to do something good this year? Well, I'm not sure I had that belief six weeks ago. I have it now. The Brewers did take two of three from the Reds, but the Reds are in first place at the All-Star break for the first time in 13 years. So that has led me back to baseball. But did it lead me back enough to watch the All-Star game from start to finish last night? No, it did not. And I could just kind of the way that my evening worked out I was able to kind of plop down in front of my TV and watch maybe about three or four innings worth last night. But literally, and again, this is this is not me criticizing baseball. Okay, this is what makes me different 
from most talk show hosts is I will tell you, this isn't a baseball problem. This is a me problem. Where usually everybody says, ah, it's, it's, if I don't like this, there must be something wrong with it. I'm not saying there's something wrong with me. I'm just saying taste change. And I've got so much else on my plate that I, I, I've, I've kind of lost the time slash interest. And I use the word investment and not financially, emotionally. Well, now I'm starting to get emotionally invested in it again. So, um, Nathaniel, if you have the chance, pull up like either the AL or the NL All-Star roster. And don't, Jimmy Cook, by the way, has the day off today, a well-deserved day off. Nathaniel Finch, very recent University of Indianapolis graduate, is on the ones and twos today. Um, You know, guys like Shohei Otani, I think I know what team that guy plays for. I know Aaron Judge didn't play last night because he is hurt, but... If you start naming like random reserves, like relief pitchers, guys that got in the game late, there's a good chance I would I would miss. If you said, okay, the, the old you know TNT game, the Charles Barkley game, who he play for? I would fail miserably at some of these to show you just kind of how I have drifted away from baseball, and maybe just maybe. When I thought I was done, the Cincinnati Reds may have just pulled me back in. So I think I have tap danced long enough for you to find your roster, crack a lack that microphone, and start like like give me a random all star reserve. Don't even tell me what league. Just random all star reserve. Go. Let's start with Nathan Avaldi. Nathan Avaldi, he's a pitcher, right? Um, didn't he pitch for the Red Sox at one point in time? He did. Is that who he pitches for now? Is not. Um, I don't know. I could keep asking you these questions. Um, at least I have heard of him though. Who does he play for now? The Rangers. Yeah, I wouldn't have gotten that. Okay. All right. Try no, take two. Who we got? Let's give you an easier one. How okay. about uh, Dansby, Dansby Swanson? Well, he now plays for the Cubs. Okay, good. Uh, and, and and that is somewhat seared in my brain because his wife Mallory. Uh, should be on the U.S. Women's National Team, and unfortunately got hurt earlier this year, and so she can't. And that, and her absence is big. So I, I have a tangential tie to that. But yes, I remember Swanson going from what the D-backs to the Braves, and then to the, and then to the to the Cubs. So again, that is an easier one. You don't have to go easy on me. I'm, I'm honestly trying to make myself look like a bit of an ass in this segment. It's okay. So who else do you have for me? Let's go with Corbin Carroll. Uh, I have never heard of Corbin Carroll. Probably the rookie of the year. Um, I I um I, I I've been to Corbin, Kentucky. Um, <laughs> there was a guy that was at UND for a semester named Brian Corbin. Uh, we called him Hoochie. Um, he spilled tobacco juice on the uh, floor of the carpeted living rooms of what was the New Hall. I think it's now Crow Hall. And the next year they had to rip out the carpets because of that guy. Um, and Carroll, I know Jamie Carroll that played in the majors. Uh, I know Will Carroll, that's a buddy of mine that talks about baseball. That was on the morning show today. But I don't know who Corbin Carroll nor Carroll Corbin is. It's Corbin Carroll, right? That's right. Okay, and he plays for what team? Arizona. Good for him. And they're ha- they're having a good season, right? Mostly because of him. I mean, uh, he'll good, be the well, good for him. him. But I, I I don't know who that is. Yeah. Let's let's do two more. So far, I'm one for three. Uh, forget batting 300. Let's see if I can go 600 here. Let's see if I can go better than 50%, better than a coin flip. Uh, number four would be what? Josh Hader. 
Uh, Josh Hader. Is he the reliever for the Padres? Is that right? Used to be for the Brewers? Yeah, there you go. It's the hair. See, he stands out. All of that hair. All right, so I'm two for four. This is this is the best of five decider. Uh, am I am I more of a baseball fan than even I let myself believe at this point? Number five is whom? This is a tough one. Yeah, yeah. Give me give me the toughest, most rando dude that you can think of. Brent Rooker. Uh Brent Rooker. Um uh, I got nothing. Um I know who Malik Hooker is. Um, uh, I get uh, no, no, no clue. American League or National League? He is on the American League. He's on the American League. I probably know the National League guys a bit better. You know, occasionally watching a Reds game or two, but the American League guys are uh, are, are are unfamiliar to me. Who who he play for? Plays for the worst team in the league, but he's the uh, reserve DH from Oakland. Ah, okay. All right. You you picked the hardest guy because you picked a minor league team. And yes, <laughs> you have to have somebody on from every team. And as a Reds fan, I have appreciated that over the years. And I believe that's an that that is a proper rule. Have someone on from every team. That way everybody's represented. I went two for five. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. So what the whole point of that four minute exercise was was to show you that there are certain sports that I still don't like the back of my hand. Okay, Honestly, baseball isn't one of them. And that's been kind of the case for the last two or three years. And again, it's not a baseball problem. That's a me problem. That's that's just nothing baseball's done wrong. I frankly think baseball's actually doing some things right. I don't know if not having your guys wear their own uniforms in the All-Star game, maybe I'd more be able to more easily identify those players when they got in the game. Um. Maybe that's me yelling at clouds and telling you get off my lawn by saying that. Because I, I, I like the pitch clock. Okay? I like not having the shift. Because it's those things, that, I like the bigger bases. I like limiting the amount of pickoff plays you can have. And if you're a traditionalist, you're screaming at me right now. But it's increased activity on the base paths. Um, it's, it's increased base hits, which increases amount of activity on the base pass. The game is unquestionably taking a shorter time to play. And all of us have the attention span of a gnat these days, not just the, you kids, I am as guilty of this and looking at this thing. Uh, that would be uh, for those of you listening on radio, the phone that I am now shaking, uh, at those of you watching on the YouTube and, and Twitter feeds, uh, on the cameras, etc. So I, I like the things that baseball is doing. I am still lagging behind most in terms of my current baseball knowledge. You want to talk 80s and 90s baseball? I'm your guy. Um, Rick Bozich uh, got me hooked on playing that Immaculate Grid game that's been going around. And like I know, I'm dropping like random players from the '80s and '90s in there. My modern knowledge, none too good. The All Star Game, I am past the point of the All Star Game, bringing me back or kind of saying, "Hey, that's the reason I want to go watch baseball." I'm I'm never going to be that person again. That is for younger people, casual fans, and even if I'm more casual about my fandom, I'm 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 still. Because of what I do for a living, I will never be a casual fan. 
But what does bring me back to a sport is having my team be good. Pacers fans are feeling that way about the NBA. Colts fans, we'll see. First steps and kind of the rebuild process took place when you bring in a guy like Anthony Richardson. Now let's hope he works out. But clearly, the the Reds have, have hit the fast forward button. They have hit the drafting and signing lottery, at least from the positional player standpoint. Pitching may still be a bit of a question, but there seems to be a good pipeline of those guys that are coming forward as well. Also, how much can I tell you that uh, baseball has pulled me back in? Going to the Reds and Giants next Thursday. And I think that'd be the first time that I have been to Great American Ballpark since before the pandemic. So starting to drift back towards baseball. I don't think anything in the All-Star game pulled me in that direction. As, as evidenced by my complete lack of knowledge of three of the five of the not pre-planned and random sample that Nathaniel Finch put together for me here in the opening segment of the show. We may get back to baseball other than when Mo Egger joins us. We may not. Um, in the segments where I've got guests, kick back and relax, try to keep you entertained and informed. Uh, and informed. You got something you want to say? We've got time at 1245, 145, and from basically 215 on in the program today. Interact with me on Twitter at Greg Rakestraw. Email to Greg at 1070thefan.com. Chris Denary. We'll talk Pacers and Grandbabies when we come back on the Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Pacers. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Summer League action continues tonight at 7.30 out in Vegas. Not currently in Vegas is the television voice of the Indiana Pacers and Chris Denary because he has got much more important duty like grandfather duty. Congratulations on the new addition of the family, my friend. Thank you, Greg. Uh, I'm multitasking today as I talk to you. Uh, yes, 11.33 last night, uh, our oldest son, Evan, and his wife, Meredith, had a uh, little boy. So it's our second grandson. Um, I'm not going to share his name yet because they haven't done it yet. I mean, I know the name, but um, but it, uh, yeah, awesome uh, down here in Myrtle Beach. And uh, so right now I'm in <clears throat> in the woods walking uh, their German short-haired pointer. <laughs> well, hopefully, uh, in the woods has a consistent cell phone signal, and if you need kind of t- you know a, a moment for a breather, uh, just say the word. Uh, but uh, you know we can we can always argue. We talk a lot about summer league for about like seven days, and it just kind of goes away, and we kind of like forget it almost ever happened. Um, what has caught your attention though, from the amount of names and faces that you'll be seeing starting in October that have been playing over the course of these first two games? 
Yeah, I've been very impressed with what I've watched. I've, I've watched both of the games. Uh, you know, fortunately, uh, ESPN2, the first game, NBA TV, and I think NBA TV tonight. Um, been very impressed with really uh, on the defensive end. And I think we all know from a, from a team standpoint, that's really where they, they want to and need to get better. Uh, but I, I, you know, watching these young guys, uh, Jareth Walker, in that first game, you know, nearly had a double-double, had three or four blocks, three or four assists, and just very active. Uh, ben Shepard really shot the ball well in game two. And then, you know, the guys that won't play anymore, but I thought it was good for them to play the first couple of games, and that's Benedict Mather and Andrew Nemhard and Isaiah Jackson. Just good to see those guys, you know, play confidently. Um, you know, they had some big leads. They led by 20-plus in the first game against Washington. I uh, had a big lead in game two, won by a big margin. So, yeah, just good to see and, and good to see those guys have some chemistry together. This is a first-world problem to have. These are the problems you want if you're Messrs. Pritchard, Buchanan, Carlisle. But at the two and three position now, now you've got a combination of Buddy Heald, of Bruce Brown, of Aaron Neesmith, of Benedict Matherin, T.J. McConnell might get some minutes in there. Andrew Nemhard might get some minutes in there. How do you make all those pieces fit and try to keep everybody happy? Well, that, that's, you know, as, as Rick Carlisle has said, training camp doesn't start until October 3rd, so they have a lot of time to uh, talk about that. But you're right. There's a lot more depth on this team, you know, from 1 to 15 than we've seen the last few years. And, uh, you know, you, you throw out at the four position, you now have Obi Toppin. Right. Uh, you've got Walker. You've got Jordan Wara. Then at the five, you've got Turner, Isaiah Jackson, and Jalen Smith. But you're right. At the wing position, you're pretty deep. Um, Aaron Neesmith last year played a lot, a lot of the four. I mean, the, the, the Pacers went very undersized at that position. So I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, how it all shakes out. Um, you know, the good thing, Greg, about the regular season is in an 82-game schedule, you're playing three to five games a week. And you're going to have some injuries, sure. Um, those types of situations. So I think it's helpful to have, um, you know, some depth and, and quality depth at those positions. So it'll be interesting to see how all that shakes out. You know, a lot of us have just kind of assumed that because you draft Benedict Mather in six, he's going to need to start. Um, and 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 I certainly get that line of thinking. Um, but there is also something to kind of, hey, this is what he does, attack mentality. And there has always been a place in the NBA for guys that are scores off the bench. And you go, listen, you're going to get 20 to 30 minutes a night. You get more towards 30s because the shots are falling. You're finding a way to go. Don't worry about elements A, B, and C of your game. Just go score the basketball. So I guess Matherin specifically, are you kind of operating on the assumption he's a starter this year or – do you think maybe his true role is to be a guy that plays starters minutes but does so with an intact mindset coming off the bench? I think all coaches will tell you it's really who, who finishes rather than who starts. Sure. But we all know that sure. players love to hear their name in the starting lineup. Um, he did start at the end of the year. Uh, they made the switch where Buddy Heald was coming off the bench. I think really all you have to look at is somebody like Bruce Brown, who last year did not start for the Denver Nuggets but was the sixth man and we can make a real argument that they don't win the title sure. uh, without somebody of his quality. So I, I, I agree with you um, that, you know, you can come off the bench and be highly effective. And that's what Matherin was last year. 
I, I would think right now I would I would pencil him in as a starter. Uh, just I think that's maybe where they want to go. But again, um, you have so much depth there that you'll just you know it'll be something to to watch how the coaching staff operates. Again, Chris Denary, television voice of the Pacers, granddad and dog walker, joining us here on the Fan Midday Show, ninety three five and one zero seven five. The Fan. Um, obviously, you're not seeing these guys eighty two games a year, but you've seen Obi Toppin at least a handful of times over three years. You've seen Bruce Brown a handful of times over the course of the last four or five years. From from calling them from the other team's perspective, when those signings or trades were announced, what immediately came to your mind about their skill sets and what they bring to this team? Well, the ability to run the floor, Greg, and when you look at adding Toppin and Brown, you now have the top three players in the NBA from a transition standpoint. I think... Halliburton was already there in, in leading the fast break and scoring off fast break opportunities. And now you have Toppin and, and Bruce Brown that, that do that as well. We had a chance to see Obi Toppin the final week of the year. The Pacers played the Knicks twice. And that's when Julius Randle was out with the ankle injury. And Toppin threw up some huge numbers. I mean, he was not getting a lot of minutes because he played behind Julius Randle. But when he did play, he was highly effective. Um, I remember Bruce Brown, you know, a number of years ago in Detroit and then had a, had a really good year in Brooklyn right. last two years ago and then, of course, signed the one-year deal with Denver. So uh, I just think the ability to get out and transition um, is, is so important. The Pacers were one of the best teams from a transition fast-break status last year. And I think that will only get better with these two guys on the floor. Does part of you get a kick knowing you were here for the end of of Rick Carlisle 1.0 and knowing how he played and how the game was played 18, 19 years ago and now looking at it and seemingly he may almost want to score double the points he did when he was the coach the first time around 20 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about, uh, you know, my first year was 06, 07. That was Rick's last year of his first stint. Yep. And you go back a few years before that, Greg, and remember some of those Pistons, Pacers, playoff games? I was first one to 80 like, if you were lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of them were like 74 to 67 right. and 75 to 70. Um, you know, and that was a, it, it was a different league. It was a different way that they played. Um, I, I've said this, that basketball now is more of a motion game. And, and think back to how Bob Knight played many years ago at IU. It was, it was motion. It was pass, screen, cut away. You never, you never saw anybody put a screen on the ball. Now, what happens now, there's a lot of on-ball screens, as we know, dribble handoffs, that type of thing. But for the most part, it's read and react. And you put the ball in your players', in your players hands and make them read and react. So Rick calls very few plays now. And now he has a wonderful point guard in Tyrese Halliburton who can control things. So – you know, that's where scouting reports, practice, shoot-arounds, that's where all of that work is done. And then on game night, I mean, sure, Rick is coaching and his, and his staff is coaching, but so much of it now is giving the players the opportunity to make plays, and I think that's the biggest change that we've seen in the NBA over the years. I'll not ask you to, to make a, a specific thought or comment on, on a potential trade rumor, but but I guess just this. You alluded to the fact that a training camp doesn't start until October. Um, Pacers were trying to be as active as they could be before the draft. 
made some pick trades, was not, nothing would be a blockbuster variety. Clearly, you go out and get a, a couple of solid pieces in Brown and Toppin. But again, because of the glut of players now that you have, do you think another trade is in the works before this team really gets together in mass uh, come that first week of October? Well, I think there's always an opportunity. I mean, I, I think the one thing, you know, Kevin Pritchard sort of invented the word optionality, <laughs> and, and they had a lot of optionality going into the draft. With five draft picks, it quickly became four. Um, so, no, I, I, I like the roster as it is, but they're always going to look to improve it. And I think, you know, where the Pacers are right now, they're, they're ahead of schedule, right? I mean, they won 25 games two years ago, 35 last year, and I guess the question is, can they go to 45? Now, you know, I think the East is very strong. Um, you've seen a lot of teams improve. So I, I think you always have to keep your eyes open to, to make your roster the best that you can make it. But they still have a lot of flexibility as far as contracts are concerned. Um, you know, a lot of they, – they've talked about Bruce Brown, but you were able to really fit him in because – the, the salary cap in the CBA is different than it was a year ago. Yeah. Um, a, a year ago, you could hold on to your money till the end of the year, and that allowed them to do the extension with Miles Turner. The new CBA does not allow that. I think you have to spend 90% of your cap right. by the first day of the regular season. So um, I think the Pacers are still in good position. Uh, I like what they've done. I like the roster and – Again, you, you never know uh, what's on tap. All right, how, how much longer of the dog walk do you have here, C.D.? You still in the woods? You back out to the highway now? Where are you at? I'm back out walking toward the golf course here. Of course you are. As, as, as anybody knows in Myrtle Beach, there's a golf course <laughs> right. like every block. And where my son and daughter-in-law live, uh, it's called Wild Wing. It's between Conway and Myrtle Beach. It's right by Coastal Carolina. Yep. So we are walking on the grass. Uh, Dutton is a two-year-old German short-haired pointer that needs to be walked. And he was waiting for me. I was running all kinds of errands this morning. We went and saw our daughter-in-law and son and our uh, new grandson early this morning. And then, uh, you know, we'll be back a a little bit later. But we're trying to help out and do as much as we can and so that's that's where I am right now. It's it's good to walk. We'll probably walk oh a couple miles, I think. And the weather in the greater Myrtle Beach area, just how hot is it in the middle of a day on Wednesday? Uh it is very hot right now. You can probably <laughs> tell by my voice. Um but it it's funny, Greg, because last week we were in Michigan on our uh usual family vacation with two other families and uh I hung out with my other grandson, who's a year and a half archer, and I mean, we just had a blast. But it was probably in the 70s, and there was very little humidity. That is not the case today <laughs> at 1239 on a Wednesday afternoon. It is hotter than hot. Note to Evan, find a gig in Michigan if you can. The weather is better uh, come summertime. CD, I, I appreciate you being with us, and congratulations to you and the family. I'm sure we will talk off air in the very near future. Take care of yourself, all right? All right, thanks, Greg. You got it. Kristen Airy, multitasking on this Wednesday afternoon. And to Chris's credit, he has kind of gotten to a point in life where he can Take some time off during the course of, of the uh, NBA offseason. Those WNBA play-by-play reigns have been handed over to Pat Boyle a few years ago. By the way, they are playing today. 
Uh, they're playing right now, uh, in fact, because at some point in time, I want to track down Aaliyah Boston to get her on the program. But like literally like every time I have been doing the show, they've been playing that day. It's been a game day and they are having a matinee like right now. Um, so at some point in time, next couple of weeks, when I'm in here, we'll get Aaliyah uh, on the show sooner rather than later. I'll kind of give you my take on the Pacers and, and, and my buddy Scott Agnes, who I have on on a frequent basis when I'm here at the fan to talk kind of all things Pacers. He's kind of my go-to Pacers insider. Um, he wrote on his Fieldhouse file site about a Pascal Siakam deal. Uh, John asked me about it yesterday when I was on with him. Um, I'd love to see a player like Pascal coming this way. I've actually got a tie to the Siakam family uh, that that I would it makes me want to root for it even more. I just don't think it's going to happen, and I'll try to explain why when we come back. Lori Lindsay at one, Mo Egger at one thirty, Kevin Lee at two. You, whenever you darn well please, when it's not those times. Three one seven two three nine ten seventy at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the show Greg at ten seventy the fan dot com. Lori Lindsay coming up at the top of the next hour. My name is Greg Rakestraw. I am your congenial substitute teacher for the day. Here on the Fan Midday Show, uh, I think my uh, greatest hits list in terms of being back in this chair, uh, Soccer Saturday, kind of happens every week. Uh, sounds like I am JMV on Monday, and then I am back in this chair next Wednesday. So, um, you get to hear a lot of me, and for that, I'm sorry over the course of the next seven or eight days. We can hear from you right now. It's an open segment, 317-239-1070. Hit me up on Twitter, at Greg Rakestraw. Email the show to greg at 1070thefan.com. Um, I, I, I got asked about this yesterday when I was on the ride with JMV, and I saw Scott Agnes write about a potential Pascal Siakam deal to the Indiana Pacers. And first of all, if you're the Pacers, you should absolutely be investigating that as Toronto clearly is on team tank next year. Uh, they, they, they got a hell of a hand out of getting a championship with Kawhi Leonard out of what they discovered in Siakam and Van Vliet. But clearly, Kawhi was there for a year. Van Vliet now cashed in with Houston. Siakam's at the end of his deal. They are rebuilding in terms of uh, what the Raptors are doing. So the Pacers should be kicking the tires into any team that is looking to uh, jettison pieces. That's exactly what Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan should be doing. I just don't think the fit is here in terms of assets going back. In other words, you know, from a Pacers standpoint, hey, you want Pascal Siakam? Well, sure we do. Duh. All-star level player, right? Difference maker as a wing. Um, it's, it's exactly kind of what you'd like to have. Okay, we're going to send him back to get him here. Well, you largely got to make the salaries match. I mean, the Pacers have a little bit of wiggle room. But, you know, the Raptors would... Okay, are there young pieces the Pacers would be willing to trade away? Not really. <laughs> you just drafted Benedict Matherin, right? You're not going to dra- trade the guys that you just drafted. Obviously, we know Tyrese Halliburton's going to be here for a while, the contract that he has. Um, I don't think that a combination of Jordan Wara, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, uh, Buddy Heald, Daniel Tyson, TJ McConnell, that's about where the salaries would match, by the way. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that's going to get the Raptors all hot and bothered by that. 
Um, I'm not sure they want to get back just pieces that are going to peel off after the course of a year. Um, Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I don't think they would. As far as Pacers that are pieces that I think the Pacers are legitimately going to shop, Buddy Heald has to be one of them. And I am I am very pro Buddy Heald. I thought he's been great since he got here. I think he serves an important role. But man, as you bring in Bruce Brown, and as you have the continued development for guys like Matherin and Nemhard and Neesmith and Buddy's in the last year of his deal, as much as I like him. And I'm not going to complain if he stays here and plays a role. You start counting fingers and toes and you're out of minutes someplace. And that's about $19 million in cap space that you have to you have to trade. But it's usually not going to be for a guy who was on the last year of his deal. Teams would want Buddy Heald, A, to make them better, but B, it gives them cap flexibility a year from now that maybe they don't have. In other words, are the Pacers willing to take on the length of a player's contract that is longer than just a year? I mean, any team would like to have a T.J. McConnell. They'd like to have a Buddy Heald. But are T.J. McConnell, Buddy Heald, one of those bigs and a couple of draft picks, would that be enough to get Pascal Siakam? Maybe. But my immediate thoughts in terms of a team that would go, we have something you might want to Toronto for a player like Pascal Siakam would be the Oklahoma City Thunder. Because we've talked about this now for a couple of three years. Like this ungodly amount of draft picks that the Oklahoma City Thunder have available. Nathaniel, you want to take a guess as to the number of draft picks in the first round the Thunder will have in the next four NBA drafts? I'm going to go first with nine. Round. First round. Let's go nine. Nine. Okay. Uh, you're a little low. Go ahead and, and bump that up a little higher. Thirteen. Uh, keep going. It's, it's a little bit higher. You're kidding. No, I'm, I'm not. No. Uh, and it's still higher than what you just said. 17 draft picks. Okay, technically they have 17 draft picks in the first round alone in the next four drafts. Now, actually, one of them is actually going to be the Pacers pick next year. So the Denver Nuggets, who then traded with the Indiana Pacers, will get the worst of the four Thunder draft picks in the first round next year. That actually comes our way. Okay, so technically... Imagine this imaginary draft pick wearing a hat of three different teams. It doesn't belong to the Pacers just yet. It will be. So that one, unofficially, officially, hard to follow, hope you get the idea, belongs to the Pacers. So taking that pick away, the Thunder have three picks next year in the first round, four picks in 2025, six first-round picks. So unless there is NBA expansion, and unless, and I'm sure they're going to make some trades here, but let's say for whatever reason, let's draft an entire new team in three years. They can literally draft a starting lineup and a guy off the bench in the first round. In 2026, 20% of the first round currently belongs to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And then in 2027, they have three. They're going to feel bored in 2028. I'm sure it'll change only again. They only have their own pick right now in 2028. 
because of that, and you've got a Raptors team that is rebuilding. Toronto's a great city. There are some dudes that don't want to go to Canada to play. How do you rebuild your roster? With a bushel full of draft picks. What do you potentially have to offer a team like the Raptors? Hey, how about we give you a a first-round pick next year? How about we give you a first-round pick the year after that? How about we give you another first-round pick down the road? And how about we still have like a dozen of these things the next four years? So I haven't looked at... I haven't spent much time studying the uh, salary cap implications of the Oklahoma City Thunder or like their tradable assets. They have invested big time in Shea Gilgis-Alexander as well they should. But if you're looking for a player um, in the in the Pascal Siakam sweepstakes that can send a couple of young pieces and boatloads of draft capital to get him, that would be the place that I would expect he would end up. I hope to be wrong. I hope he comes here. But when I fir- when I when I fir- first thought of Pascal Siakam, I go, I'm not sure if the Indiana Pacers truly have the capital they're looking for. Now, what you may not know about Siakam is he does have a tie to Indianapolis, and this was talked about more so when Pascal was just getting into the league now six seven years ago. But Pascal is one of four brothers, all from Cameroon, all that played their prep basketball somewhere in the States that all played Division I college basketball. And his second oldest of his brothers is my buddy Christian Siakam that played for us at IUPUI. My last two years during the IUPUI games, Christian was there. He is one of the best dudes walking the planet. Um, and so I'm sure Pascal has come to watch his brother play a couple of times. But in case you didn't know the Siakam family story, Boris was a Kentucky All-Star. I called him as a Kentucky All-Star uh, in the Indiana Kentucky All-Star game in 2004. He then played at Western Kentucky. Christian played high school basketball at a prep school in Cincinnati and played at IUPUI. James played prep ball in the Chicago area. He didn't play at Vanderbilt. Pascal played at an academy in Texas, played in Mexico State, and now has played with the Toronto Raptors. So there is a bit of a tie to Indianapolis. So I would love to be wrong on this one. I would love to see him here. I'm just not sure that the Pacers have the right pieces to make that move happen. I would love Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan to prove me wrong on that one. Would love to see him here. 317-239-1070 at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the show, Greg at 1070thefan.com. Ron Holt, stay there. Lori Lindsay is set to join us in the next segment of the show as well as we will pivot from NBA Hoops to a little international soccer because we're a week away from a World Cup happening as the U.S. looks for the three-peat. We'll talk about all that with Lori next here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. 
Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. A little all-star conversation, little Pacers conversation. I would say that's normal for mid-July. Um, and if we're going to talk women's soccer, well, I'm all for doing more of that as the voice of both the Indy 11 men and the women. However, it's Women's World Cup time are about to be, which means every four years we talk more women's soccer in this country on formats such as this. Someone that is talking women's soccer, men's soccer all the time because, well, it's been like her life since she was a student at Pike High School and then played in the uh, W League and the NWSL and now talks about it for a variety of outlets. I'm thrilled that she's got like 10, 15 minutes for us before she heads literally across the world to cover the World Cup. It is Lori Lindsay that joins us now. Hello, my friend. How are you? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. How's Uh, it going? I'm good. And, you know, having gone through this as a player, just thinking (laughs) another World Cup is upon us. What does that mean for you? Oh, yeah, it's um, incredibly exciting. And, you know, I, I was speaking with NWSL, like we did a staff thing, myself and Jackie Oatley, who I'll be calling the games with this morning for NWSL. And they were asking about the opening game, and it just takes me back as a player. And, yeah, this is the biggest sporting event in, in soccer, but you can make the argument it's the biggest sporting event in the world. And we know this one is going to have a ton of backing, a ton of fans. It will be the biggest sporting event for women's forever and so i just feel incredibly grateful and so thrilled to be headed down under and calling these games and just reliving my playing days in so many ways really. and, and I, I rattled off a, a bunch of places that you have played you actually finished your career playing in australia uh yeah. so, so so what's it like to kind of go back there for the first time in some time yeah, it feels like, once again, it just feels like bringing me back to my playing days. Because as you mentioned, like I finished my playing career professionally here, uh, was done with the national team, so I went over there for my second six-month stint. And it was it felt like a second home when I was over there back-to-back for the two, six months. So to be able, and I haven't been back since. So to be able to go back in this uh, kind of capacity, there's a lot of my former teammates that I played with over there that will be covering uh, the Women's World Cup on uh, some aspect, one, some way, one or another, right? Like they're, they're either going to be in media as myself or they are going to um, be playing. So to be, I've already talked to a lot of them leading up to this, and I'm just thrilled. It feels like a reunion of such, of such uh, by going back and being close to so many of them that I spent special days with. Listen, there there are 24 time zones across the globe. That's kind of the way it works. Um, I almost kind of break it down into thirds. There's like the Western Hemisphere that we live in. There's the European uh, slash African and then like the Asian Australian. So if you're going to rotate this tournament as you should uh, across the planet, you're going to have this from time to time where, where yeah. some fan base is going to have to get up in the middle of the night to watch their team play. No one ever complains about visiting Australia or New Zealand, but knowing that the match is going to be late night or early morning, just your thoughts as to kind of how that affects this World Cup for those of us trying to watch from the States. 
Yeah, I actually think it makes it more exciting. It's like we're fans of football, right? We're fans of soccer. We've seen this in, what was it, 2002 for the Men's World Cup. Uh, So it's just, you know, get up, enjoy the games, whether it's late night, whether it's early morning. And I I think it adds to the excitement because you're kind of like, oh, this is the long days. It's it's in the summer for us, right? And they're going to be dynamite games. There's going to be some really, really good matchups and – I think, yeah, as I mentioned, I think it just adds to the kind of the wildness of the World Cups in general. So I'm here for it. I hope the fans are too. Yes, it adds a little extra something uh, in terms of having to wake up, but come on, do it. Here we go. Let's have some fun with it. All right. So uh, I was very proud of myself in 2002 when USA beat Mexico in the round of 16 in the Men's World Cup. I was living in an apartment at the time, and I think I only woke up my neighbors once, and it was a 5 a.m. kickoff Eastern time. So I was I was. A, happy that I watched it live, and B, uh, I was not kicked out of the building for screaming uh, during the course of, of that match, which is a good thing. All right, so um, we've talked about this kind of big picture in 2015 and 2019. The U.S. has been the best, but the world is catching up. Well, now because of the investments in, in, in Europe, other parts of the globe in terms of women's professional leagues, is there still a gap between the U.S. and everybody else, or officially have other nations caught up now? Oh, actually, I mean, that that conversation, in my opinion, has been long gone. Okay. I mean, we see established leagues. We see uh, England, you know, winning the Euros last year in the fashion that they did in front of their home um, home crowd. So, yeah, that conversation is long gone. I think, yes, the U.S. are still the favorites because we are number we're ranked number one in the world still. Uh, but, you know, in these types of tournaments, it's um, – kind of about, it's like the smallest details, right? It's about managing your emotions. It's about getting a little bit of luck. It's about building momentum. I think the one thing that is exciting for the U.S. at this point in time, when you think about a little bit of luck on your side, because everyone needs that, is when you, and I'm not discounting anybody on um, on our side of the bracket, but when you kind of look at the picture as a whole, yes, in general, um, our our side is favorable. And when you have 32 teams, this will be the largest World Cup that the women have ever had. There'll be some, you know, there'll be some gaps in some of the teams, but you still have to get the job done. You still have to take game by game. And that's what's going to be about for the U.S. is like, you know, some games are going to be a grind because that is the tournament in general, just with the length of it. But taking game by game, showing up with the intensity that we know that the U.S. can have and riding some of those waves and also just uh, managing the emotion throughout. That means the days off and uh, during game day. So I'm always rooting for the U.S. I think I think this is a, a tournament that we can absolutely win. And there's a ton of other teams, though, that can win this as well. Every every team, Lori. I'm sorry about that, Lori. Yeah. Lori Lindsay joining us here. Greg Rakestraw with you, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. There, every team is dealing with some level of injury. There are, there are other nations besides the U.S. that have key players that are missing this tournament. It's just yeah. the nature of, of any sort of international event. That being said, um, there might be three or four different starters on this team were it not for injuries. Just how different would this team look in a perfect world where everybody's healthy coming in? Well, it's kind of, yeah, I mean, you make a great point, and that's across the board for a lot of these teams, just the growth of the sport, the amount of games that uh, all of these players are playing now. Uh, and, and we see this on the men's side as well, right? Key players missing because of injury. But with the U.S., yeah, I, I mean, listen, one of the things that we have that is 
always talked about is our fitness levels and our depth. And it's hard to believe that if you add four more starters on this, the depth <laughs> that that increases even further, right? So, um, yes, I just think that, you know, when you look at a player like Mallory Swanson, who would have you know, arguably the most informed player in the world sure. at the time before she went down. That's a huge loss in terms of goal scoring ability. Uh, Becky Sauer run, this would have been her fourth World Cup. The, you know, the link that she has between Blackwell and Anasi, the head coach, and the players, and just the leadership that she brings, plus the composure and the experience she has on the field. I mean, these are huge losses that are irreplaceable for, for these, our team. But as I was saying, we have depth. So the team does look very different. And also you have players that are able to step up and this is their opportunity. And that's sometimes when you have even more favorable results at times, because you have players that are digging deep in a different way. They're like, I have to prove myself and not better or worse, right? Again, irreplaceable, but that this is when stars are born, when you have players that need to step up and make the most of their chances and can win you a tournament with their opportunities that they're being given. There are 14 players that will make their World Cup debuts coming up in nine days, if, assuming they all get in the match. 14 new players on the roster of the U.S. Women's National Team. Who will be kind of the breakout star, you think, of that group? Oh, I think there's a, there's a number. And it's hard to say breakout stars because a lot of them have been performing sure. in our league for a few years. But worldly, worldwide, the three that come to mind right away are Lynn Williams, who will be making her debut at the World Cup. She played in the Olympics, but... She's been lights out for years in our league. Uh, Trinity Rodman, a bit of a younger superstar, scored uh, two goals in just our last match against Wales on Sunday, heading into this tournament. And then Sophia Smith, who all three of them front runners, very different players. But I think all three of those players, given the opportunity, whether they start, whether they come off the bench, uh, will cause problems for the opposition and will certainly put the rest of they'll put themselves on notice for the rest of the world like they are extraordinary players i know netherlands is in the united states group and obviously uh, they played a rather important match the last women's world cup um who is the one team that you think is most on usa's radar heading into the tournament Ooh, well i probably changed that conversation or that question just a little bit because i don't i think that the very first game is uh which is vietnam right sure yep. yeah um is is on their radar because these tournaments they're even though there feels like sometimes gaps in between right like this is a game that we should go in and we know that we can win it's still the first opponent so that's who's most on their radar because there's such fine margins anything a call could go against you so it's about taking one game at a time. So that would be who's on their radar right now. Uh, as uh, God bless Wikipedia, because I can reference specific. <laughs> I, I remember you playing for the women's national team, but I yes. can literally say you played in one match against Colombia. Yeah. When, 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 which is, you know, you are in the point zero zero one percentile being able to say <laughs> I played in a women's World Cup. When I yeah. say, what is your immediate flashback? If I ask you to think back to that match. What immediately comes back to your mind? Yeah, somebody stepped on my shoe. Um, a Colombian player stepped on my shoe and took my cleat off. And I was, like, cracking back. I don't know if we can cuss on here, but I was hauling ass back, Greg, to, like, to track back defensively right before the whistle blew at the end of the first half. And I remember having to, like, run the other entire way to get the cleat before I went into the tunnel for halftime. But, uh, no, I just remember the celebrations. Again, it was about taking one game at a time. And uh, Megan Rispino scored a great goal. Uh, Heather Riley scored a great goal as well. 
can't remember who had the third, but it was it was a really complete performance for our team that um, set us up for the success for the rest of the, the tournament. By the way, Holland Ass is perfectly fine uh, in, in this format. <laughs> Lori Lindsay joining us here. Greg Rakestraw, it's 93.5 and 107.5. A couple quick things, and, and then we'll let you go. Uh, okay. Since you brought up Megan Rapino, and, and if – you know, when you have a conversation about Megan, you rarely limit it to soccer. Um, but sure. but in the parlance of just as a soccer player, we all knew this was going to be her last World Cup. We now know this is going to be the, the the end of her career, at least at the end of the NWSL season. What sort of group, you know, I wouldn't say rating, but but placement like of, of the all-time soccer greats, where does Megan kind of fit in strictly as a soccer player? Iconic. Iconic, because as you mentioned, we can talk all about um, the work that she's done, the activism work, public speaking outside of the game. That also involves the game, right? And pushing the game forward in so many different levels. But on, I mean, you just have to think of the 2019 World Cup. That team uh, defied the odds in so many ways. Players, you know, pushing the boundaries. Former President Trump tweeting at the team, tweeting at Megan, you know, almost going against the team in some ways and Megan ice in her veins stepping up hitting penalty kicks when it needed it most and I think that because soccer yes is about your ability on the ball but it's also about understanding the big moments and I mentioned managing emotions early on and Megan can do that she understands what those little details mean and I don't know if we've seen a player step up in the moments when so much pressure is on a team, on an individual, more than we did in that 2019 World Cup with Megan. All right. Um, non-American player or team you are most looking yeah. forward to seeing uh, down under and in New Zealand? Yeah, I would say there's two. Marta, because when you talk about sure. icons and legends in this uh, this game, along with Megan, you think of Marta. She's playing um, in her final World Cup as well. Whether she'll be a starter or not, she'll still play a huge and a pivotal role for Brazil. Brazil, to me, is a favorite. They, All of the players that play here in our professional league, the NWSL, the Brazilians that do are in excellent form. Pia Sudage, who is their head coach, was our head coach at the 2011 World Cup. Uh, and so she knows the, there's just a plethora of experience for her as a coach at the international level. So she'll have this team firing on all levels. But Marta's one of them because of what she's done, both on and off the field herself. And I think there'll be a bit of a messy effect with Marta, with her team wanting to do all that they can, knowing that the position that they're in, potentially to go far in this tournament, if not win themselves. And then also Sam Kerr, arguably the best number nine striker in the world, home uh, you know, playing for Australia, it's a home World Cup. That is something that a lot of players never experience in their lifetime. There'll be 80,000 fans in front of their home, uh, first game against Ireland, which I'll be on that call. And it's a special moment. And for Sam Kerr, who's in the peak of her career and the goals that she scored, I think she has the ability to lead this Australia team far in this tournament as well. You will be nowhere close to Indianapolis uh, in the next <laughs> month. Uh, how often do you have a chance to make it back home these days? Well, you know, fairly often, actually. Uh, two, two things. My, my sister and her husband and their little boy live in Carmel. 
So I get back for them. And then my dad, actually, we, we lost my stepmom just a year ago and they were living in Florida. And so he's moved back to be closer to family as well. So more and more, I will be getting back to Indiana, which I look forward to. Well, please, next time you are back this way, which I know won't be at least till the end of August, maybe even like the end of, of the MLS season, uh, please give me a heads up so I, I can, uh, you know, uh, treat you to a meal, treat you to an Indy 11 game and just catch up and, and, and kind of talk shop with you. Would love to have the opportunity to do that in person. Where can our viewers see and hear your work during the Women's World Cup that starts next week? Yeah, excellent. And I'll pick you up on that because I would love to get to an Indy 11 game. I haven't been able to to get to one, and I'm a, I'm a fan. So, yes, let's make that happen. Yep. Um, but they can all the games for the U.S. will be on Fox, or Big Fox or FS1. You can catch those. And then you can follow me at Lori Lindsay. That's L-O-R-I-L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-6. That's like on Instagram, that's on Twitter, that's on What's the New Threads, so across the board of social media. Awesome. Lori, safe travels. Thanks for the time and the insight. We'll catch up real soon. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Take care. You got it. Lori Lindsay, the pride of Pike High School. She would go on to play at the University of Virginia, uh, played in kind of the early days of the NWSL. Obviously, there were, what, there was WUSA, was it was it WSL? I've, I've lost track of the alphabet soup over the years. The NWSL now, obviously, is the top flight league uh, in terms of this country and generally thought to be the top flight league around the world. But, again, um, it's amazing. These these traditional clubs in Europe have kind of figured out, hey, people will come watch the women play, too. We can make money off of this. And now you have this investment in terms of players playing professionally overseas. Now... Um, I would be remiss if, while not talking about the Women's World Cup, I can talk about the fact there is high-level soccer that will be played on Friday night from the women's perspective here in Indianapolis. Again, I am lucky enough that I get to be both the Indy 11 men's television voice and the Indy 11 women's television voice. The next couple of minutes will be remedial for some of you, But knowing we're broadcasting to a bigger audience here, the Indy 11 women's team is what is labeled as pre-professional. It's a way of saying largely college players. Not exclusively, but the Indy 11 women's team is an amateur team for now. They'll be playing in the USL Super League, which will be a professional league that launches next year. Indy 11 women uh, will be playing at the all-new 11 Park when it is finished we hope, in time for the 2025 season. The Women's League will be, kind of the FIFA World Calendar, August through May. So, August of 2025, fingers crossed, and we hope the Indy 11 Women's Professional Squad debuts. Now we are playing in an amateur league, which has a lot of the top college players across the country that are playing in it. However, you can be a previous professional and still play for the team. There are many players that have completed their college eligibility and are hoping to launch a career overseas by playing in the W League. For example, we had a player named Trinity Watson uh, this year that is from California, played at Pepperdine, uh, but was using the two-month W League season to launch herself overseas. We haven't seen Trinity the last couple of weeks, Uh, The reason is she has signed a professional contract to play in Cyprus. We have players that have played in Spain, the Netherlands, 
most of them have ties that are here. Um, of all the great stories, maybe my favorite is that of Matty Williams, who was a phenomenal player at Purdue, um, happens to be an engineer. I think she, I think her official title is Senior Sustainability Analyst. Um, she's working off of her master's degree uh, and still playing soccer on the side, playing part-time for the Indy 11 women the last three matches of the season. She scored seven times. So the Indy 11 women have reached the semifinals of this National League. Out of 65 teams that play in the W League this year, Indy 11 are in the final four. And they are hosting at Grand Park on Friday night. Now, unfortunately, I can't be there. I already have a previous commitment. I am doing the IFCA North-South All-Star Game down at Decatur Central. And I'm thrilled to be doing that game with Lance Scheib, iscsportsnetwork.com. If you're in the South Bend area, you can watch that game on Family Broadcasting, WHME, Channel 46. It is a free stream on ISC Social. I'm sure you'll see me retweet it coming up on Friday night. But our ISC Sports Network crew... Uh, will be producing the women's playoff match for the Indy 11 at Grand Park, uh, 7 o'clock. And so if you are looking to kind of whet your appetite from a women's soccer perspective, this is a wonderful way going into the World Cup to see a very high level of soccer. Because again, numerous players you will be seeing on the pitch indoors, don't have to worry about Humidity, storms, air conditioning, 72, and they got a bar at the end of the building. Always a good time to watch the Indy 11 women inside at Grand Park. Um, you'll see a very high level of soccer. And you will see players that either will be playing professionally in the very near future or have played professionally in the recent past. Indy 11 women are really good. They are taking on a team from San Francisco, the San Francisco Glens. If the Indy 11 women win... They would advance on to the championship, which would be next weekend, which could be here in Indianapolis. And knowing the platform that I have, if they win on Friday night, I guarantee you'll be hearing about it from me on this radio station at some point in time next week. Um, It's part of the reason why I do a a 52-week-a-year soccer show in terms of Soccer Saturday. I like the fact that our calendar in this country is kind of different from the FIFA world calendar. You want to know why? Because there's something to talk about 52 weeks a year. There is something from a soccer perspective that is always happening. You can say that about this summer, just from a national team perspective. I mean, seriously, it, it, the, the overlap is insane. There is no downtime as a soccer fan right now in this country. You've got the, you had the Nations League that hit just after, say, uh, FA Cup, UEFA Champions League in the end of the club season, which then rolled right into the Gold Cup in which the men play a semifinal tonight against Panama at 7.30. That will wrap up this weekend. Women's World Cup is next week. That will take us to about like August 20th, I think, is the final. If I remember right, it's either the same weekend or the weekend previous when the Premier League season starts back up. There is no downtime. But that's all big picture stuff. There is really great soccer you can see locally. Indy 11 men have a midweek match tonight against the Charleston Battery at 7. I'll have that one. My NDTV, ESPN+. My buddy Ian Gilmore and Brad Hodder will have the call on Friday night. Go to 11sports.com, iscsportsnetwork.com. More importantly, go to either game. Hopefully you go to both. But the women's match, 7 o'clock, Grand Park. Um, it'll be worth your time. Let's put it that way. Thank you, Lori Lindsay. Her podcast, I'm sure, available soon, 1075thefan.com, and we'll revisit a good chunk of that conversation Saturday morning on Soccer Saturday. We can talk some soccer with Mo Egger next segment, too. 
but probably the Reds would be my focus of conversation for him. I'm sorry, I, I did not give them the proper attribution. My bad. The first place Cincinnati Reds. Talk about them next on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. You know, back in the day, we had a lunch hour sponsor. So we would, every time coming out of a break, you'd hear, welcome to Moe's. We should have, I'm sure we had Moe Agron at some point in time when that was the case, because we welcome him on the show right now. How are you, my friend? I'm good, Greg. What's going on? I appreciate uh, on a day where you've got at least three hours of yapping to do, doing at least 10 or 15 more minutes with me. Um, (laughs) And and I know you appreciate this because you have been a part of the Cincinnati media scene for some time. It has never been a better time to be you than it is right now. Is everybody in Cincinnati just kind of walk around smiling going, man, this is pretty cool, given how every sports team seemingly is competing for a championship or at least better than they thought they were going to be heading into the year? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I've compared it for me to the movie The Shawshank Redemption, right? <laughs> Where he crawls through 500 yards of God knows what, and then he gets to the end. And he raises his his arms in triumph. That's kind of what it's been like here. You know, we've we've crawled through years of the Bengals being terrible, years of the Reds being terrible. You know, that the soccer team obviously here is really good, haven't been around forever, but their first few years in MLS were a disaster. And now everybody's good. Heck, the University of Cincinnati is getting set to start its first season in the Big Twelve, so uh, it is. You're right. It's it's a fun time. It's it's fun to watch everybody have a good time, and 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 it's it's all happened, you know, so unexpectedly. You know, with with the Bengals, we thought Joe Burrow was going to make them good. Sure. We didn't know they'd be in the Super Bowl his second season. Reds lost 100 games last year, and for this team to be in first place at the All Star break by themselves, uh, I think if you would have said that was going to be the case back in March, somebody would have asked you to urinate in a cup. <laughs> the crazy thing about the Reds is that literally, and, and I had no problem with fans, no showing, you know, making Great American Ballpark a witness protection program for the better part of a couple of years because they weren't getting return on their emotional investment. The crowds went from 3,000 to 30,000 overnight. It's like literally everybody saw Ellie play one time and said, okay, good, I'm in and, I, and I'm going. As somebody that talks about this daily, what was it like seeing that transformation literally in a matter of days? What was that like? You know, it's interesting because I was I was skeptical. Not not that if the team played really well that folks would, would start coming, but, but I, I was skeptical that if they called up the younger guys, fans would come almost immediately. And yet, I mean, Ellie's first night against the L.A. Dodgers on a Tuesday night, 
that crowd was electric. I think the announced crowd was something like 26,000, 27,000, which for a Tuesday night for the Cincinnati Reds is an insanely good crowd. The thing that surprised me was the instant reaction to, to the guys they called up and, and, and to, the, to the just short-term success. Now that they're in first place and they had a, a 12-game winning streak and they've got some guys who have very quickly become household names, I don't think the big crowds are all that surprising. They're certainly refreshing – and I could say the folks at Great American Ballpark would tell you uh, they have dramatically exceeded their wildest <laughs> attendance projections. But the, the the immediate turnaround is what what struck me. The, the thirst to see some of these guys like Ellie De La Cruz, but also Matt McClain and sure. Andrew Abbott, uh, I think has been interesting. I think the other thing with this team, though, is it's not just that they're winning. I think folks are drawn to this brand of baseball. And, right. Greg, I think you and I are – close to, to the same age, that the brand of baseball that I grew up loving saw the stolen base be a thing. Saw teams take extra bases. Teams weren't station to station. They weren't entirely built around the home run. And the Reds kind of embody what I think is the antithesis of what a lot of people have come to complain about modern-day baseball being, where it's, it is two station to station. Teams are built around the home run, and if they can't hit the ball out of the ballpark, well, they're screwed. They're striking out a lot. This team's offensive execution and philosophy has kind of flown in the face of that, and I think that just aesthetically has made this team so much more appealing than a team that if they were 50 and 41 got there on the strength of you know just hitting a bunch of home runs. Again, Mo Egger, ESPN 1530, our guest, Greg Rakestraw, Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. To me... You know, baseball, seeming these days, is a mathematical equation. What what Ellie has been, and, and his teammates as well, it's been moments. It's been, oh my God, did you see that? Whether it is the triple for the cycle, or obviously what the stolen base was and the steal of home on Saturday afternoon, they are things you can remember. They're things that aren't going to be just lost, you know, kind of to history. That, to me, is what's been so special about these last few weeks. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's felt like, you know, these last five or six weeks, there have been uh, a lot of games where the next day you said to whoever you were working with, to see that last night? Or these moments that you couldn't help late at night texting your buddies, did you just see that? <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I, I mean, the, the, the Joey Votto two-home run game his first week back from the injured list. My favorite game all season was, we call it the Ricky Karcher game. Uh, a kid they called up, made his big league debut in Kansas City. They had kind of run out of relief pitchers. They're in ex- this goofy guy with an ERA of nine at AAA takes them out, and he's got this weird grin on his face. And then he's throwing like uh, Ricky Vaughn in, in Major League, and, and yet somehow, some way, records the save, doesn't allow a run. And just the joy of that moment and the joy for him. You know, the, the, the headliners get all the pub, right, type players. But to have a first half the way the Reds have, you need a lot of contributions from a lot of different people. That night, they got a contribution from a guy that they have since DFA'd, and it was really, really cool. That has sort of been what has uh, defined this season. And, and look, I mean, I think the other thing uh, about this team is how they've done it in the face of what, what's been a major liability. You know, this is, this is a flawed team because their starting pitching is so bad, and 
you know, we can obviously talk about whether their current model is sustainable in the second half of the season, but they've, they've kind of gotten by and won a whole bunch of close games and won a whole bunch of games where they had to come from behind because their starting pitching wasn't all that good. And I think teams that overcome their flaws tend to be, you know, pretty endearing, and this team certainly is. The, Red, the Reds have now been saying the right things in terms of the front office, like, hey, we recognize not a, it's not a complete team. We, we need to be buyers and not sellers at the trade deadline. Have they reached the point where there's so much young talent in the field, you can now kind of dip into the single-A, double-A, triple-A level and move some pieces to get back pitching? Have they reached that point yet? I think they've reached a point where they can deal from an area of surplus uh, because they have, you know, it's a nice problem to have. They have like a thousand guys who could play shortstop. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the name Noel V. Marte is going to be brought up a lot. He's kind of stuck long term because of uh, Matt McClain and Ellie De La Cruz. I think the interesting name is Christian Encarnacion Strand, who is a player that they acquired last year at the deadline from the Minnesota Twins. He has shown prodigious power at Louisville. He's a corner infielder. Right now, there's nowhere for him to play at the big league level. I think it would be interesting to see if they would be willing to give him up. But look, I I keep making this point. I think we fall sometimes so in love with prospects that we just become attached to the point that you're unwilling to move on from them. The last time the Reds really went all in via trades was in 2012 for a team that won 97 games. And in order to get the pieces they acquired to put them in a position to win 97 games, they traded away four guys who would become all-stars. So (laughs) if you say you want the Reds to be aggressive, understand what that means. It means you rush to the front of the line with an offer that a selling team uh, cannot refuse. That doesn't mean you give away your fourth outfielder who nobody wants. That doesn't mean you give away – you know, the, the the crappy bullpen guy that nobody wants. You're going to have to give up something of value. I think the good news is this team's got some guys that I think would be coveted by, by you know, teams looking to part with something. And I also think it's, you know, we, also, we often frame uh, the trade deadline activity as it's buyer dealing with seller. There's nothing that says you can't make a deal for a guy that's got a few years of team control that can help your starting rotation in exchange for an established big leaguer who can help the team that gets him in in the short term. So I, I think we we sometimes are a little bit too short-sighted in talking about trade deadline possibilities. Four years ago, the Reds traded for Trevor Bauer, not for the rest of the season they traded him for, but for the next year that he was under team control for. I also think there's a possibility they try to make a deal like that. But look, it goes without saying, regardless of what direction they go in, the starting pitching has to get better. It has to get better with guys who are currently making up the staff. It has to get better with guys like Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo who are on the injured list right now. And it probably does have to get better via an outside acquisition. Hunter Green, uh, injury status. When's the next time we see him back on the mound? Well, they say they hope for August. August has 31 days, and there's a difference between hope and expect. So I don't know that there's a bigger storyline aside from what they might do at the deadline between now and whenever Hunter Green comes back than – uh, what's his progress look like? The good news is this. His injury is not related to his arm. So, and you could say the same thing about Nick Lodolo, uh, I, I don't want to underscore or diminish the, uh, the, the road back to getting those arms back to midseason form, but you have a pretty good chance of getting two high-end fresh arms back in August, which is a pretty nice luxury if those guys come back. 
Moegger, ESPN 1530 Cincinnati, all things Reds. One other topic I'm going to get to in a matter of moments here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, is it a no-brainer that Joey Votto is playing next year for the Cincinnati Reds? I think it's a very interesting possibility. I think it's more of a possibility than a lot of folks would have been uh, willing to acknowledge before the season started. Look, uh, there is a team option for $20 million for Joey next year. I find it hard to believe that they're going to pay Joey $20 million next season. But I think he would love to finish his career here. I know he has said that publicly. I think he is drawn to the quality of the club and the chemistry that they have built. I think there is value in Joey being on the team next season. And so I don't know. You know, we we sort of framed this season for Joey coming into the year as pretty good chance it's his last I now would say that that's the less likely outcome. My guess is he is playing baseball for the Cincinnati Reds in 2024. Uh, but there's two and a half months left in the season. Joey has always said, if if I if I'm not performing, if I'm not performing to the level that I expect, I'll walk away. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see how he hits here in the final two and a half months. But certainly what we saw from him in the last week before the All-Star break was very encouraging. And, yeah, I, I think there's a, a better-than-average chance at this point that Joey Votto is playing baseball for the Cincinnati Reds in 2024, something that just a few weeks ago seemed like and a very, very strong unlikelihood. Uh, before we let you go, and we kind of painted the big picture as to why it's great to be Mo Egger today, throwing some skyline chili, the man is, is absolutely in his perfect spot. But when FC Cincinnati first launched, and, 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 and even in the USL championship level, got these amazing crowds at Nippert Stadium, part of it to me was like, well, because they're winning, because the Bengals weren't winning, the Reds weren't winning. Um, well, now those two, two programs are winning. Obviously, it's more short-term for the Reds. It's been more sustained now for the Bengals. But you've got this beautiful stadium. You're a top Major League Soccer. And, oh, yes, now this is becoming a destination for national team games. USA Mexico was there before the World Cup, and now you have it, you know, in terms of the Gold Cup quarterfinals, the U.S. and Canada playing on Sunday. So now that the Reds and Bengals are clearly on the right path, what kind of, of, of niche, hold, place at the Cincinnati sports table does FC Cincinnati have? Well, I, you know, I, I think there's a couple of different ways you can measure that. Uh, if you use their attendance, they're right on par because they pretty much sell out every game. Now it's, it's about a 24, 25,000 seat stadium. It is a beautiful stadium. Uh, it's in an urban area. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, it's, it's worth your time. Um, it's, you know, uh, maybe 12 blocks away from where the Bengals play. So there's a great environment. I, I, I'm still of the belief that a lot of those folks who are going to games on a regular basis are there for the environment stadium. And, it helps that the team is winning. Are all those folks soccer diehards? Not so much. Um, in terms of of our show, you know, the engagement isn't quite what you would expect it to be given how good they are. Um, you know, for me, I find myself always having to frame topics in a way that folks who didn't grow up playing soccer or even don't like soccer will follow along with. I think in terms of, like, recognizing the players on the team, you know, it's a town that has Joe Burrow and a town that has Ellie De La Cruz. Well, Matt Miazga and Brandon Vasquez <laughs> are not quite on that level, but they have a very good on-field product. The team is very, very good. And it, relative to where this franchise was a couple of years ago when it was a total afterthought locally and a bit of a punchline nationally, it's done a 180. They got a good club. They got a likable club. 
they're really being run by people who know what they're doing, and um, they're certainly in the, the conversation of being the best team in the entire league. Mo, it's good to be you, my friend. Thanks for the time and the insight <laughs> today. I appreciate it and enjoy the show this afternoon. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. You got it. Mo Egger, ESPN 1530 in Cincinnati. Kind enough to join us here on The Fan in Indianapolis. We'll take this quick timeout. Something you've heard those last couple of segments that is intriguing to you. Phone lines are open. We've got Kevin Lee at two. Your phone calls, tweets, emails, if you choose. When we come back, 317-239-1070, at Greg Rakestra on Twitter. Email the show, greg at 1070thefan.com. Back in a moment, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We are more. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. More than halfway there. Perhaps we are living on a prayer. Thank you so much for joining us. I decided that Nathaniel Finch, as a 22-year-old, knows the lyrics to that song as he smiles and nods his head accordingly. Is that because of Guitar Hero, perhaps, in the day that you might know the lyrics, or just what's one of those anthem kind of sing-along songs that you have some sort of inkling about? It's one of those songs, Greg, and I, I've been picking music today, mostly thinking of you and what would get you to <laughs> smile, right. so I think it's what, been working. What does the old guy across from me, what, what is in his musical heyday? Let me pick something from 36 years ago. I'm sure he knows it quite well. Thank you very much. It's the UND Connection here on the ones and twos uh, here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Um, of the various things we have talked about today, and I, and I may go kind of off topic from those in this segment of the show, but just kind of rehashing or recapping what maybe you have missed to this point. We did talk about the All-Star game, um, and I talked about my my waning baseball fandom over the last few years, but the team of my youth, the Cincinnati Reds, are starting to pull me back in. Not enough to like make an appointment viewing to watch all of the All-Star game, but I watched some. And now I know I've got to check out now that the Brewers are going back to play the Reds this weekend after the Brew Crew took two of three at Miller Park. Now it's a matter of, all right, what can Cincinnati do to maintain that first place status uh, in the NL Central? Uh, That will have some of my attention over the course of the weekend. Uh, We talked with Chris Denary. Uh, a, a newly minted grandfather, I think for the second time, uh, while he was walking the dog while in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, but still did a more than adequate job of talking all things Pacers. Pacers do have a summer league game tonight at 7.30. Again, some of the names that you have been seeing, guys in Andrew Nemhard and Benedict Matherin and Isaiah Jackson and those first two. I'm not sure they need to be playing the summer league in the first place, but they did, and they're done now. And, and, and now it'll be about kind of the rookies and the guys on two-way deals and seeing more of the Oscar Shebways, Isaiah Wongs, and featuring more of Ben Shepard and obviously Jarris Walker. Shepard played really well on Monday. I just kind of watched tangentially on Saturday 
But on Monday, I actually had time to kind of sit down and watch a good chunk of that. And again, uh, if you're trying to to glean too much from a summer league game, you are wasting your time. That is a an effort of folly. Uh, but there are individuals who go, hey, does that guy look like he belonged? And Monday night, I'm not saying Ben Shepard's going to be a guy that's going to get major minutes in the rotation. And we kind of note we kind of noted, you know, just the the uh, overflow now of guys that kind of play the two and the three. And there's not going to be minutes to play all those guys, let alone Shepard. But Shepard looked like, all right, what do you expect to do in, in this? You have to be a knockdown baseline corner three. Every team has to have a couple of guys that literally, you know, like the, the, the you had one job account on Twitter or Facebook. Well, your one job is to wait for the ball in the corner and knock it down when we throw it to you. Shepard went four or seven from three-point range. Not against full NBA competition, but against the best competition he's going to play this summer. He looked the part. That was good to see. And so it'll be much more of a um, kind of a regular summer league look than having five guys on the floor that are on guaranteed contracts for next year, which generally does not happen. So Pacers will have a little summer league activity tonight. You can go check that out. Um, we talked a little women's soccer uh, because the upcoming Women's World Cup. I stumped and shilled for the Indy 11 women having a playoff match coming up on Friday night. You just heard Mo Egger and I talking primarily about the Cincinnati Reds. Some of you like the Reds talk more than the soccer talk, Rex. But even if you're going to be critical of me, I appreciate you tagging me on Twitter. Thank you for Rex. I appreciate that. Um, some of the other things that I have not gotten to from a Twitter perspective. Uh, Bob says this. Something to talk about. Paul George had Halliburton on his podcast yesterday because no one is jumping to sign PG. Is there any chance the Pacers could bring him back? Um, you never say never. Paul is officially under contract for this year at $45.6 million. Paul has a player option for the following year at just under $49 million. I'm not sure that the uh, that the Pacers are going to be bringing Paul George back, most importantly for that financial reason. There obviously is a lot of water that has flown both under and over the bridge in terms of PG and the Pacers at this point. Um, so, no, I, of the potential moves the Pacers could be making between now and the first week of October when training camp officially starts, I don't think bringing Paul George back is going to be one of them. I do think the Clippers are going to be looking to potentially move he or Kawhi Leonard. I do think there are moves like that, not both, but one. Um, but are the Pacers that taker? Yeah, don't think that is going to happen. I'll be honest with you. Uh, when you sent that tweet in, Bob, I and, and maybe I just haven't been looking for it, and that's why I missed it. But, like, my immediate reaction when I saw that Tyrese Halliburton um, was going on um, Podcast P or Playoff P or whatever derogatory you want to give that because of who's the host in terms of Paul George, um, like, I was almost surprised there wasn't more, you know, negative social media reaction to why is he going on his show like jilted lover syndrome like people just seething that the guy that we've anointed as the next centerpiece of the franchise would go on a show that was a former centerpiece of the franchise who rejected all of us 
or at least that's the way we feel. I think that's rather juvenile, but I'll admit to you, there are kind of times that I think I feel that way as well. Like, like if Tyrese goes on like the Victor Oladipo show next, there could be a problem here. But I didn't, I didn't see that. I'm sure it was out there. It just didn't kind of cross my timeline. Maybe I was over on threads uh, at that point in time and, and not checking my Twitter feed. Uh, but Bob, thank you. Uh, I get a couple of you that say, hey, because you're on the show, talk more soccer. Some will like that, some will not. I try to kind of, kind of, kind of weave that in um, as, as, as best I can without you know doing overload. All right? You want me to talk about a full hour of soccer? Saturday mornings, 9 a.m., we podcast at 1075thefan.com. When I'm here, I try to weave in some soccer conversation when I think it's pertinent. Like the Women's World Cup, beyond pertinent. Um, the fact that the women's team that plays in Indianapolis has reached a national semifinal, I think that's worthy of a mention as well. Now, something because of the timing of it that you know, we'll talk more about it now because there's less going on. But there's always a little bit of Wimbledon. That's Wimbledon with a D, by the way. Wimbledon conversation that takes place this time of year. And it always ends up getting me to wax a bit nostalgic about a day and time that that is not that long ago, but surprisingly is now like a decade and a half ago. Or it used to mean that that when Wimbledon would wrap up a couple of weeks later, some of those key pieces, some of those players that you would see, n- not all of them or even most of them, but some of them would soon be in Indianapolis playing at what was the Indianapolis Tennis Championships, what before that was the RCA Championships, before that was the Clay Court Championships, and my, my frame of reference is coming to town in 1994, and I got to go take part in my first RCA Championships as a member of the media, aka uh, free food and beer, uh, in 1997. Eventually, actually led to me getting to do tennis on the radio. How about that? And getting to work with Bud Collins, and literally one of the ultimate compliments i have ever received is bud is doing play-by-play i'm doing color i thought it'd be the other way around bud looks at me and says i'm doing play-by-play and i go what am i gonna tell bud collins no of course bud you're doing the play-by-play and i would do color and so after like a couple of 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 you know breaks in the action bud turns and looks at me and he goes you kind of know your stuff bud freaking collins said that to me god rest his soul I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. But I was lucky enough to be around the RCA Championships slash Indianapolis Tennis Championships uh, for about 12, 13 years. Amazingly, because we're all getting older, the last one of those was 14 years ago. It was 2009. I was I didn't know it was going to be the end then. Kind of realized about three or four months after the fact that that, that was going to be the last one. I was fortunate enough to be the on-court PA announcer for the last match that was played at the Indianapolis Tennis Center. Um, Robbie Ginepri was the final winner. And just through the happenstance and luck of life, I had a meeting with the folks at IUPUI, and I could talk about my guys at IUPUI a little bit more, and maybe I will, 
in the next because I'm really excited about the things that are going on there from an athletic perspective. Um, but we have had a meeting over there yesterday, and their offices are in NIFS, um, which is now next, which is just south and always has been, where the tennis complex used to be. Where the practice courts were is where the parking garage now is. And just the way that I parked my car to go into that meeting, I'm looking straight out and seeing this huge open grass lot. And I immediately envision what used to be there in terms of the stadium court at the far end of it, the show courts before that. I think about how exceedingly lucky that I was that I got to play college tennis in this town at the University of Indianapolis when that facility existed. I got to play a, a college match on center court, stadium court at the RCA. Again, the goosebumps are popping back up. What sucks about that, though, is the flower beds were still there. I didn't have ball kids. We went through like three cans of balls because we, you know, we lost them during the course of a point. Um, and, and the echoes you would hear of hitting during, the, but it's still awfully cool life story to tell, right? I was surprised that I put a tweet out basically showing this empty grass lot and saying, hey, it's fitting that during the Wimbledon fortnight, it's a fancy way of saying the two weeks of the tournament, um, that, that I am here looking at what used to be where the ATP tour would play every year. And the amount of feedback that I got on Twitter, not just likes, but people sharing photos and mementos and things that they saved off of the scrap heap, it warmed my heart and it made me miss that event even more. And coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the show, I may share some of those moments, those tweets, but I will also open it up for you, if you have those same memories and moments, to share that with me via Twitter and the phone lines, too, at 317-239-1070. First, some finely crafted commercial messages, a little IndyCar with Kevin Lee when we come back. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Out of the vocal track of sabotage. I was going to start singing, which nobody wants to hear on the program, but I was going to do it anyway. Thankfully, your eardrums have all been saved because somebody added that to just background music. Third and final hour of the Fan Midday Show. My name is Greg Rakestraw. Nathaniel Finch uh, is filling in for Jimmy Cook. I think James is back tomorrow on the program. So you are responsible for earning your own money. We will not have a Jay Cook play of the day coming up in the 245 segment of the program. Chris Denary, Lori Lindsay, Mo Egger have all been on the program today. Podcast available 1075thefan.com. And right now, Kevin Lee joins that. You'll be able to hear him in a couple of different forms on the podcast page later tonight. Because obviously, trackside, because of the All-Star game last night, is this evening on 93.5 and 1075 The Fan. Hello, my friend. How you doing? I'm good. How are you, Greg? I'm good. When do you head north of the border for the weekend? 
tomorrow morning. Lovely. How do, how do you like your trips to Toronto when compared to other stops around the circuit? Uh, I like it, although I would also say I think every weekend we have something unique and True. we always look forward to the weekend. That's what's good about IndyCar, and some of our, our NASCAR friends are often jealous at the places we get to visit <laughs> rather than more likely than not in the middle of nowhere. So uh, Now, there are a few in the middle of nowhere, like mid-Ohio. Iowa is a little bit off the beaten path, but we stay in Des Moines, and Des Moines is a very underrated city, so uh, we don't really have any bad stops. <laughs> America is the middle of nowhere, but the little village where the track is at is just an awesome summertime location but toronto was up there you know i've always kind of compared it to a clean manhattan that's not to denigrate manhattan at all but it's it's a lot of people and it's difficult to keep things really tidy and toronto is just a friendly place it's got so many uh different unique types of restaurants you can walk everywhere uh, you're right on the water, so it's a fun event. As a guy that has made his living largely, uh, kind of you know pedaling around street course circuits for the better part of the last 15 years or more, your thoughts about the ado that was made of NASCAR being in downtown Chicago a couple of weeks ago? It was great visuals. It was cool. But as somebody that's been there, done that in terms of street racing, what was it like to watch those guys attempt it and do it a couple of weeks back? Well, it was more about the exposure that you're going to get and the new eyeballs that you're going to get. So I get why NASCAR hyped that so much, spent so much money on it and invested in it. Now it remains to be seen whether that investment will pay off and they're able to come back, but they have set the template and they're going to have other opportunities um, with television rating that they had the highest other than a Daytona 500 in quite some time. You know, and as someone who is, and I like NASCAR, but I'm more biased towards the IndyCar sure. side. I'm I'm a bit sad that they've figured out our model uh, <laughs> that works so well. And people always say, why aren't there more ovals? Why are these street races? Well, because street races are an event. Ovals are one-day shows. And it's tough enough to get a big enough crowd on the oval to make it all work financially. But it's friends and family on Friday and Saturday at an oval race, whether you're talking about IndyCar or NASCAR. NASCAR does a little bit better with an Xfinity race, but you look in the crowd for that, and there's not many people there. Now, they have a television package that works. Um, So that's what NASCAR was able to do, that the weather did not cooperate at all. Uh, and, And I'm not as worried about whether the track raced well or not. It was interesting. And that schedule is so long. Anytime you can make something unique, I watched it. I, I've made it a point to watch that race, and obviously an extra 2 million or so people that normally watch did the same. So that's why it worked, and that's why you're going to see more of it in the future. From an IndyCar perspective, um, you know we get to this point of the season, it becomes silly season in terms of, of drivers, where we had already had some movement already, but we also have silly season in terms of, of, of venues. There seems to be some momentum, even if it's not during the, the season proper, if, you, if it's non-points events, for potentially going overseas, down to South America, et cetera. Your thoughts on on if that's going to happen, where's the first place we're going for that, Kevin? The first place that can write the check and guarantee <laughs> that it's going to cash. I mean, honestly, that's yeah. what it's about. It, it is about a money grab, um, and that's important. Money is – anytime you're uncertain why something is happening or is not happening – It's always money. Always start with money. 
Uh, and in this case, and, and Roger Penske's philosophy has been, this doesn't really do a whole lot for us, but if you can convince him that it helps the series financially, is spread out amongst the teams, then we do it. And the next problem is it's massively more expensive to do an event somewhere where you have to ship everything and, you know, the sponsorship doesn't really work. Uh, the time zone might not work. Now, the places they are talking about from a television standpoint, the time zones can work. If you're talking about Brazil or Argentina, Australia is back in the news, which is, does not work as far as a, a time standpoint is concerned. So I'll kind of believe it when I see it, but I hope. And they're talking about an exhibition after the, the championship is done because they don't want to, to crown their champion uh, at 2 in the morning. Sure. Uh, and put probably not outside of America anyway, and I'm not sure they really want to start the season there, although I think that can be debated, and they've done that before with Brazil. So, you know, I give it kind of a 50-50 type of thing. There are a lot of places that it look like it's going to happen, but you have so many different entities, namely governments, that have to be on board, and there are times there have been signed deals, and the mayor, the governor, the president changes and all of a sudden the cash flow stops, and we don't end up going. So we hope it will happen. Kevin Milwaukee Lee. is maybe something domestically that I think has a chance sure. to be added to the calendar next year. And the, and the thing that, that really surprised – sorry to step on you there, Bubba. The thing, the thing that surprised me, um, and, and I was happy to hear, you know, the logic I'd heard beforehand is, hey, if we're at Road America, you can't be at Milwaukee. I love the fact that the guys at Road America is like, hey, we don't, that's fine. Put put a race at Milwaukee Mile. So I guess from a, a – and I realize your job is to cover the IndyCar series, not to be the PR guy from Milwaukee Mile. From a facility readiness standpoint, just how close are they at the mile to be able to host a major event like IndyCar? So I haven't been there for a while, but Roger Penske was there recently, and he said, I believe, that it's better than it was the last time, but they're not quite there yet. So there would still need to be – some financial upgrades uh, from a safety standpoint and otherwise to make it happen. Uh, but then at the end, that comes down to money. They can invest that, but they need to make sure it's going to work. And what everyone would have to ask themselves is why would it work this time when it didn't work the previous times? Sure. Because many promoters have tried and it just hasn't gone well in recent years. What you do have is you have the idea of what you've done at Iowa and in St. Louis and those have been successful oval events. So do you invest all the money for big-name concert acts? You have to have someone underwriting that, like Menards or someone uh, like hy V does with Iowa to make that work. But I'm optimistic they'll give it a try, and I think Penske would be sort of a co-promoter potentially like they've done in Iowa uh, so they can get all of their muscle behind it as well. So I hope it happens. All right, what clearly is working is anything that Alex Pillow is doing. Um, I've been around long enough for the season – this reminds me of was what Dan Weldon did in 05. Um, he always put an asterisk what happens in 2020, which Scott Dixon with limited track time and opportunity was so dominant. Where do you begin to describe the season that, that Pillow and the 10 team are having at this point? And I think that's a good point that it's more than just Pillow, who is clearly a special talent. There's a reason why, I think it was a year ago today, where two teams announced he would be <laughs> right. driving for them next year. <laughs> Um, so there's a reason why his services are being sought after, and he might have an opportunity in Formula One next year. But the team is also so strong, and they're not missing anything. Every pit stop is flawless. Strategy is flawless. And Polo is really fast, but what he's better at is just racing, meaning he doesn't have to have the fastest car, but he is the fastest over a stint. 
He manages the tires well. He makes smart decisions. Townsend Bell calls him the professor, and I, I think that's accurate. And, you know, we have been blessed with the championship going down to the final race every year for almost 20 years. It's not going to happen this year. <laughs> He's going to have it wrapped up way in advance. And that's my next question. What would have to happen for him to not win the championship at this point? Lots of DNFs. Uh, and it starts with this weekend because this is one with a street race with concrete walls where it doesn't take a whole lot for you to finish 25th, 26th, 27th. Uh, and then now he's still going to have an 80 or 90 point lead. He's still going to have a two race lead, even if he finishes last in this event. But then you have a couple of ovals. And if you crash in the first Iowa race uh, and then it's a doubleheader, another race the next day, it's difficult to get the car repaired exactly handling well. So you might have a lost week in there and finish in the back. You've got one more oval at Gateway coming up. He's good there, but he's not as good as he is at the other places. So that's the scenario. It really has to start right now with some really bad luck, either mechanicals uh, or being caught up in a mess. I think at the beginning of the season, the assumption was is that Alex Pillow is in the IndyCar circuit next year driving a McLaren. Um, there obviously has been a lot of conversation, I'm sure a lot of it behind the scenes and, and some chatter that we're subjected to in terms of social media, et cetera. Where do you think Alex is driving next year at this point, Kevin? I think he's probably at McLaren. There's a possibility he's at Formula One, um, but they generally just don't regard IndyCar drivers all that highly. And it's developing this week. Uh, one of the seats that we knew was, we thought was going to be open is the second seat at Alpha Tori, which is a Red Bull junior team, because we thought Nick DeVries was going to be out after one year. Well, it turns out Nick DeVries is out right now. Yep. And Daniel Ricardo replaced him. Now, that does not eliminate Pelot's opportunity there. If Ricardo does not do well, he won't be invited back next year. If he does really, really well, he might replace Sergio Perez right. as Max Verstappen's teammate at Red Bull. And that seat is open up again. And in this case, it would be McLaren actually hurting themselves because they've been putting him in a Formula One car and word has spread that Polo is really good. So it's not just based on him stomping IndyCar competition. That's not enough to impress anyone in the Formula One world. He needs to be in that car. He did a free practice one last year, so they've seen that he's, he's solid. So I think there's a chance maybe there's another one or two opportunities over there and even though many would say why would you go run 14th when you can win championships here he's from spain he's from europe the formula one world is what he knows and there's only going to be one chance to do that so if it is offered to him no matter how bad the seat is i suspect he will take it understanding that he can come back to indycar if and when that does not work out how do you balance that if you're indycar because obviously you want to acknowledge you know you know formula one but there are elements where you're trying to compete with yeah. them and, and obviously so much of, of of 100 days to indy was hey this is the this is the version of, of drive to survive how do you walk that that balance of acknowledging formula one yet trying to differentiate yourself from it if you're indycar I don't know if they know how they want to acknowledge that because a good percentage of the fan base doesn't get that and gets really annoyed when drivers start talking about leaving and going to Formula One for rides that are outside of the top 10. And I think it probably irks management as well when drivers get so excited about a testing opportunity and talk about how cool those cars are. But that is something that needs to be discussed and navigated to try to use it 
to their benefit. I think that the current popularity of Formula One does positively impact IndyCar because it exposes people to that type of racing. And then when they find out they cannot afford to go to that type of race, <laughs> we have something that's very similar. Similar, And actually, the winner is not predetermined. Uh, and you can get up close and, and do a lot of different things for a fraction of, of the cost. So I think there are benefits there, but it, it is a tricky slope to be able to deal with. What's, uh, what's on the show tonight, my friend? Uh, a lot of this. We'll talk about Toronto. We'll talk about what they're doing at the IMS Museum. Yeah. Uh, big upgrades there that is really taking it to the next generation. So I'm curious learning more about that. Uh, silly season where drivers are going to be next year really starts with Polo until we know what he's doing. Because if he doesn't go to McLaren, then someone else probably is. So who's that going to be? Is it going to be Marcus Erickson, who's a free agent? There's some Grosjean. His contract is up. Andretti has a couple of openings. Ganassi has three. So that's all developing right now behind the scenes. Again, uh, trackside, a Wednesday edition from 7 to 9. Um, what's the next update for Jackson Lee Racing, by the way? What's the next race for him? Uh, TBD until we find more money. Right now he's injured, and he will miss the uh, Toronto race because uh. – Kids with uh, wealthier parents keep running into him <laughs> and aren't concerned about crash damage. So he's been taken out of, I think, four of the last six races. Uh, and I would say one, maybe it's five of seven. Two, he potentially could have helped avoid. Three, he had no control over it as well. So added crash damage, uh, ran out our budget. He wouldn't have been able to go this weekend or not. So we're looking for new partners to see if he can do the final two weekends of the year. Uh, and then we'd like to do the same series with the same team next year. Turn 3 Motorsports is really good. And he's been quick in their cars, so we're hoping, we're hoping he can do that again. Race commentator by weekend, race dad by evening, and other parts of his calendar. Kevin Lee, kind enough to give us 15 minutes around the fan. Thanks, buddy. Enjoy the show tonight. All right, see you, Greg. You got it. Kevin Lee, kind enough to join us here on the Fan Midday Show. Of course, IndyCar in Toronto. Catch all the action. Mark Jaynes, Davey Hamilton, Jake Query, Nick Yeoman, Ryan Marine, etc. All this weekend, Sunday at 1.30 on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, I will go ahead and go to break early. We'll kind of hit the reset button. So the rest of the show is going to be you and me on the phone lines, you and me on Twitter, or me simply rambling on as someone that's got a lot of experience as a talk show host and an only child is want to do. But the rest of the show is open to you. 317-239-1070, at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the program, greg at 1070thefan.com. Your tweets, your phone calls, your emails, or me just you know yapping on incessantly. Comes your way next on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. 
You hear this song, you might think you're on the wrong radio station. You're on the FM dial. You, you have the right midday show. It is the fan midday show. Greg Rakestraw here. JMV will be on from 3 until 6 as he always is. It is you and me on the phone lines, the Twitters, and the emails the remainder of the way. 317-239-1070 at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the program greg at 1070thefan.com for all the various things that I do. Um, some of the things that, that set me apart. I'm the soccer guy. I'm the high school sports guy. Well, when you know it, Todd wants to talk high school football on the program. Todd, it's very fitting that you call knowing I have the IFCA game coming up on Friday. And as is always the case, that means it's five weeks till the start of the high school football season. Hello, Todd. Hey, Greg. Um, first of all, it's great to hear you on the airs here. I don't know how you squeeze in a couple shifts here a week. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, honestly, it is this time of year. I'm like, okay, listen. I can kind of dedicate three hours because I enjoy doing this. It's kind of good to kind of keep the chops sharp, you know, from a yapping standpoint. But honestly, once I get to kind of Colts training camp, that's probably going to be the end of it because I'm kind of busy with that. So um, if you like hearing me, unfortunately, you won't hear as much of me in this format about three weeks from now. If you don't like me, the good news is the end of the tunnel is almost here. So with that, Todd, the floor is yours. Go ahead. Um, your preamble's uh, part B of my questions, but part A um, was a little early conversation on this, but I'm kind of curious of your thoughts. Uh, Carson Steele transferring uh, several time zones west to Los Angeles to play for Chip Kelly. Yep. Um, what are our expectations of what we're going to see from him out with that program? You know, I, I can't sit here and and give you a, an intelligent answer in terms of like what the running back depth chart looks like at UCLA. Um, but given the fact that, you know, basically they say, hey, we think you're going to have to play in the Pac-12, um, tells me a lot. Athletically, he can cut it. I know he can uh, because of the level that I saw him play at for four years in terms of Indiana high school football. So what exactly the role is going to be here for him in Chip's offense? I don't know. Obviously, Chip is an offensive mastermind, so he figures out the best way to use the pieces that he has. I happen just random happenstance saw Carson and his family uh, down in Nashville in Brown County uh, at at the at the end of March. Kid looked good, looked like the Pac-12 and LA's been treating him well. But my estimation would be, and, and you're going to now see this in college athletics, the guys that are stars in kind of the mid-major leagues, they're going to get an opportunity to showcase their skills on a bigger stage. And no one Carson and no one Chip Kelly, uh, my guess is he's going to be a contributing member of a Pac-12 offense out in LA. He's going to have like a 1,000-yard season. That might be a bit of a stretch. I hope he does. Uh, but do I think he can play a part in a successful team at UCLA? I absolutely think Carson can do that. Well, I saw him play live two or three times in Muncie, and um, he was he was under recruited. Oh, absolutely, opinion. yeah, yeah, completely under recruited. He's he's his his effort and determination, and he's got he's got moves. It's not he's not just a right. you know, bulldozer. Yeah. Uh, so, hey, my second question is, and this is kind of this is for everybody, I guess, not just for me, but um, on Friday night's game, maybe give us a short list of people that you're going to see on sure. Friday night that we think. We're going to see on Saturdays um, in the near future um, at a Division One program. Well, so. well, Todd, buddy, thanks for the phone call. First, I appreciate Thank it. You. But, but secondly, what this All Star Game has turned into in the IFCA, um, it's kind of like the One AA or now FCS 
Division two, Division three NAI game. Up until about 15 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, you would see like a Mr. Football or you would see a guy that's going to play like at an Indiana University. I remember, you know, Dustin Keller before he played at Purdue and then went on to play in the National Football League. He played in this game. Um, you know, Kofi Hughes before he played at IU uh, from Cathedral played in that game. Well, now that those kids can get to campus so much sooner, those guys are on campus end of May, mid-June. The kids that are playing Division I football largely aren't playing in this game. The IFCA, you kind of have the option. You know, hey, do you play this game at the end of December where you have access to everybody, but you're not going to be, A, you have to play at Lucas Oil, which is not a bad thing. B, um, you can't kind of have like the camp experience like they have now. Um, And C, there are guys that won't play because they're high school wrestlers or they're high school basketball players. So the IFCA has elected to, you know what, we're going to keep the game in July. Kids reported to camp at UND yesterday, so they practice for three days. They play on Friday. They go home after that. But there's still other activities in which they are a part of. Um, and they've elected, you know you know what, Let, let's keep that experience of this. And as somebody that has made part of his living at the Division Two and NAIA and Division Three level in terms of broadcasting, and providing those opportunities for places like UND and Marion and Franklin, et cetera, Wabash, DePauw, you know, over the course of the years, I can tell you there's a really good level of football that is played at those places. And there are really good football players that are playing in the IFC All-Star Game uh, on Friday night. ISCSportsNetwork.com. You live in the South Bend area. You can watch it on WHME, uh, Family Broadcasting's Channel 46. Thanks to Ed and Chuck and the good people behind the scenes that are uh, allowing that to happen and our debut performance with the folks up at 46 in South Bend. My Twitter feed, uh, our YouTube in terms of ISC, it will not be hard to find that game. Those rosters are going to be dotted with kids that are playing at Marion, UND, Franklin College, Wabash, DePauw, other great small colleges throughout the Midwest. It's a great level of football. And there are a handful of kids that this is their last football game. They're going on to college uh, and and not going to play football. It's their last chance to play again. We have a handful of kids that are like that every year as well. So if you can make it Friday night, great. And if not, uh, find me. Uh, I'll be describing all the action. I've been doing that game now for the better part of 20 years because, you know, I'm that age. Phil is up next at 317-239-1070. Hello, Phil. Hey, uh, former Cardinal, great to get some Carson Steele talk. As much as I hate to admit it, uh, the Ball State program did not deserve him wishing well at UCLA. Um, but what I wanted to talk about was, uh, is it time, you, you mentioned watching the MLB All-Star game last night, is it time to just do away with it? Because I don't feel like baseball is a sport that lends itself to seeing something truly spectacular with the league's best in the same way that the NBA does. I know when I tune into that all-star game, I'm going to see some circus-type dunks every 10 seconds. Uh, baseball, maybe just not the same way. Thanks for taking my call. Sure, Phil. You know what? I, I, I will actually go the other direction. Obviously, the NFL finally, wisely, has largely junked the Pro Bowl. You just can't replicate that at high-speed collisions, tackling, injurious end of the season, and so now it's 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 seven on seven, it's it's glorified touch football, it's skill competitions, it's 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 nothing. Um NHL, like to say most more of us watch the NHL, we largely don't. Let's put that aside. Um I've always thought the MLB All Star game was the closest thing that replicated 
what you saw on a game-by-game basis. I don't think it's going to junk the All-Star game at all. There are some that will tell you that the Home Run Derby has bypassed the All-Star game in terms of interest, and I'm I'm okay with that. The points, Phil, you made about the NBA All-Star game um, are, are, are true. I mean, again, it, it turns into, uh, you know, and I don't say this in a negative connotation. A basketball circus is is a good way to describe it. You see amazing feats of athleticism and not a bit of defense. What you see last night, you saw some great defense. Think of uh, of the couple of plays I saw you know, were made. I think it was Riley, the third baseman, the plays for the Braves. Um, whoever that is that that I saw him make a great barehanded throw down to the first baseman. Saw him, you know, snare a line drive for a double play. You'll see some great defense. You know what you're not going to see is Pete Rose barreling over Ray Fossey like he did back in the 70 All-Star game. That's not going to happen. Um, you know, you'll see you I mean, think about Pedro Martinez just telling guys fastball and blowing it by him in the All-Star game. That was 20 something years ago, but you you still see a lot of the top pitchers throwing. It's no more than an inning. You'll still see some big swings. I got to go to the All-Star game was Cincinnati what in 14 or 15. Whenever it was, I thanks my buddy Jason Hatfield, and he and I are going down to watch the Reds uh, play against the Giants next Thursday. But I got All-Star Game tickets when it was back at Riverfront, or Great American. Dear God, old man moment. Uh, not Riverfront, Great American. Um, I mean, and it was it was cool to see everybody. So I don't I don't think that that we're to the point of junk in the All-Star Game. Because um, again, I, I still think that the MLB All-Star Game is the closest thing to replicating what you are likely to see in a ball game three days later. Um, and that's also why I made the point of saying earlier, hey, um, if I'm watching less baseball, that doesn't mean I think there's something wrong with baseball. It just means that perhaps my tastes have changed. And again, that is so much for the casual fan. And maybe I am more casual about my baseball fandom than I used to be. I still don't get to count myself as a casual fan. And honestly, if if you are listening to this show, if you are listening to like any bit of sports talk radio, you may not be a casual fan either. Because again, you're invested. What that is trying to do is trying to grab somebody that doesn't often watch baseball and watch it on that Tuesday night. And for as much as we talk about the television audience or the streaming audience, and you can say, hey, you've got to cater to the millions that will be watching on television and not the 40,000 that would be watching at the stadium. And maybe this is in my mind knowing that the NBA All-Star Game is coming here. Let's also talk about the fact that I guarantee you people in Seattle right now are talking about, man, that was great. Think about all of these players that we got to see play at our stadium. Think about how cool it was that Julio Rodriguez, this burgeoning star that we've got, Got a chance to showcase his skills with the other best players in Major League Baseball that played, that, that came to our corner of the world. 
in the Pacific Northwest. Because I guarantee you, we when we talk about the All-Star game for, for the NBA in February of next year of 2024, I don't think we're going to talk about the uh, the lack of defense that was played um, or, or or the uh, the the importance or lack thereof of the stakes. We're going to be talking about how cool it was to see all of the best players in the world make their way to our neck of the woods for the first time in 39 years. You know the fact that that you know it's that events are being taken to Lucas Oil in addition to Gamebridge Fieldhouse. And so this is also maybe the one time where we say, hey, let's focus less on the bigger audience that is going to watch this event on television. Maybe we say, let's focus on the community in which it goes to. Because these things don't happen very often. Like I heard, um, I think Rob Manfred had like a, his, his version of the State of the Union address either Monday or yesterday. And in talking about various things, like the potential location for the next set of all-star games is being talked about. And there is, like, Chicago is up for consideration for an all-star game in 2025, as in Wrigley Field. And I very vividly remember the all-star game being there in 1990, because, again... Much like now, the Reds are kind of good. Well, in 1990, the Reds went wire to wire, and they had several players that were in the game. I'm also 13 years old. I got less on my plate. I'm locked in to watch the All-Star game in 1990, um, and it had like a storm delay in Chicago. I think like a Field of Dreams replay got mixed in there, and the All-Star game finished at like 1 in the morning. So I, I remember that. And I find it hard to believe, and it makes sense, you're going to take it to different markets. You're going to make sure that kind of new stadiums get their crack at hosting an all-star game. It's been 35 years. It's been 33 as of now. But if Wrigley gets to host in 2025, it will be 35 years in between the all-star game being played at perhaps the most iconic baseball stadium we have. So again... It's kind of like the conversation I had with Mo Egger last hour. Part of what's so cool about this Reds run as of late is that it's 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 not an algorithm. It it's it's not VORP or WAR or Pakoda or OPS. It's did you see what that guy just did? And All Star weekends coming to your city are kind of like that. Did you see that guy? Did you see that guy? Can you believe that guy is here? So perhaps, maybe, especially knowing that an all-star weekend is coming our way in the very near future, that's our focus on that front. John wants to talk about the all-star game. Hello, John. How are you? John, uh, I'm from Indy. live in Yakima, Washington. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm about two hours from Seattle. It was huge here. I mean, everybody, I know a bunch of people up at the uh, uh, Home Run Derby. I watched the game last night. I'm not a... Uh, Mariners fan, my Cubs fan, but man, I watched the game. It was awesome. I mean, so I don't know, I don't know how you can get better than really baseball all star. I mean, I, I've been to a Pro Bowl back in like 2001, cool back then, but 
if he thinks this is a bad all-star, I mean, he probably doesn't like a hot fudge Sunday either. <laughs> this was great. I'm sorry, Joe. You were, you were cutting out, and I jumped in there, and I apologize. I'm, I'm not going to bash Peter's caller, Phil. He, 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 it, it, it was it was a uh, if I did, even if I disagree with this point. I just want again. It's it's I've I've had the pleasure to to go to the baseball all star game as, as strictly a fan. Um, I'm not sure what my job responsibilities will be. Uh, I I I don't think I'm planning on doing anything in conjunction with the NBA All Star Game. I'm not turning anything down in case anybody you know might need the voice for something. You know, you you never know. Um, but but I'm I'm going to appreciate this being here because it was one of the rare windows of time that I I I wasn't kind of working full time in the business. I was, but. I wasn't really involved in sports talk radio when the Super Bowl was here. What, 13 years ago now, 12 years ago now? And so, like, I'll hear all my friends say, oh, this on Radio Row, oh, this. And, and like, I remember taking my wife and my daughter, who's now 12, and she was, like, eight months old at the time, and just kind of doing one day of walking around downtown and taking it all in. Uh, I have this wonderful framed picture of the 33 Indy cars that represented the 32 NFL teams plus the league. Like, to me, that's like an iconic, not sports photo, that's an iconic Indianapolis photo. Like, that is a point of pride for all of us in Indianapolis or all of us in Indiana that, and and I can barely remember the days of Indian no place, okay? I came here in 94. It was India someplace by then. I remember dating a girl right before I, right as I was graduating high school, and amazingly, in Lanesville, Indiana, in small town southern Indiana, I managed to find a girl a outside of the gene pool, and b her parents were from Chicago. And when I told them I was going to go to school at the University of Indianapolis, they said, "Indian no place." Well, I broke up with her daughter a couple of months later. But anyway, um, this has not been Indian no place, and that picture is testament to that and i hope and while an nba all-star weekend is not the equivalent of the super bowl weekend it is still a big stinking deal so i think the mlb all-star game still pretty good even if i don't feel compelled to watch all nine innings of it that that, that's on me it's on the all-star game itself but b think of the conversation pacific northwest today about how cool the All-Star game was. And think of the conversation in the heartland late February of 2024, how good All-Star weekend's going to be because we're indie and we knock stuff like this out of the park. We'll take this quick timeout, come back and wrap it up next. Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. 
Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Back for the final time today, Greg Rakestraw Fan Midday Show. Thanks to Nathaniel Finch. Again, if you are tuning in, uh, and I say this terminology lovingly, because you're a degenerate gambler, today is not your day. Um, unless, Nathaniel, you want to offer a, a, an advice on a wager or a parlay when there's nothing going on in sports today. Well, we got some cricket around midnight tonight. You know, I've got, I, I, I know a guy for cricket. Believe it or not, I do. I know the guy that runs Major League Cricket in this country. He's a former Indy Eleven employee. I can reach out to him. You know, a little, but that—that's the—that's the extent of my knowledge on cricket. Literally, it's crickets after that for me on cricket. But the Jay Cook play of the day returns tomorrow when Jimmy returns. I have no idea who's hosting the show with him tomorrow. Uh, I know I'm responsible for today's program. 317-239-1070 at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Uh, Email the program to greg at 1070thefan.com. From the just-mentioned Jason Hatfield, uh, my uh, Reds cultural attache, in other words, he often drags me with him to games at Great American Ballpark. More Reds talk, please. I heard someone mention Lance Lynn this morning. May have been well. That piques my interest. Of course, the local guy's going to pique your interest. Uh, and uh, and he would be a great veteran presence for a young locker room. I am simply more concerned slash interested. And again, they have said all the right things. But in the Reds making moves, knowing that they need to add pitching and the recognition of, hey, we've had this timeline. We are junking the timeline uh, because of the division that they're in, because of the way this young talent has all arrived at the same time. Go for it. And that's what I want to hear as a as a Reds fan, as a sports fan, period. My team's going for it. Let's play. And so whether it's Lance Link, great. Help, period, for starting pitching. That's what I want to see from Cincinnati Reds. JB, James Boyd, by the way, will be in, and he'll do a phenomenal job uh, when he is in uh, tomorrow. Um, I mentioned this at the end of the one o'clock hour that Wimbledon is taking place as we speak. Uh, if you were following the story of Chris Eubanks, the kind of journeyman American that had this remarkable run to the quarterfinals uh, at Wimbledon, unfortunately, his run came to an end today. He was actually up two sets to one against Daniil Medvedev. Medvedev won the four set in a tiebreaker, and Tank kind of hit E for Eubanks at that point. He loses in set number five. Uh, so it'll be yet another major without an American male winning it. But we seemingly are getting more American men deeper into the tournament. So maybe, just maybe, um, that streak which will hit the 20 year mark at the U.S. Open. I had planned on on taking you in the tennis way back machine in this segment, but more from a local perspective. But in rambling on, I've gotten to the point where Andy Roddick won the U.S. Open in 2003. That was the last time an American man won a tennis major 20 years ago. 14 years ago, 
was the last time that the Indianapolis Tennis Championships took place. And here is what I got uh, in terms of the surprisingly good response to putting out that nostalgic tweet yesterday from Pete. Wow, it's been that long. From Darren, I was the architect of record for the parking structure from where this photo was taken. With permission, I saved a metal ground sign from the scrap heap and made it a nice magnet board for my tennis playing daughter's bedroom wall. And he includes the picture, and that is so cool. If your kid's a tennis player and you got an Indianapolis Tennis Center sign um, that that you know is part of her like bedroom display, that is so cool, Darren. And I wouldn't have asked for permission. I would have just taken it. Um, kind of like Kenneth did. So Kenneth shows me a picture of his like patio in the in the backyard. And it has a sign that says South Stand Section 1 and 2 with an RCA Championships logo on it. And he has three stadium seats. Now, that's awesome, Kenneth. I appreciate you sharing this with me. Uh, from Greg, uh, RCA Championships was a great tournament. Was fortunate to work many years with great volunteers while at RCA slash Thompson. Fond memories of my buddy, uh, Dave Priest, working tirelessly for the event. Absolutely. From John, um, love that tournament and still miss it. From Kate, who I also know here from the days at Emma's Communications. Uh, of course, now we're part of Urban One. Help Kate helped run the media room for 10 years and the legendary Judy Burnett. Took a week's vacation every year to volunteer. A lifetime of memories of the players and the journalists. Uh, from Kyle, and Kyle sends a picture as well. Had my college internship there in the summer of 2007. The Indianapolis Tennis Championships at that time. Here is a photo of me with the winner in Dmitry Tursunov. How cool was that? From John, it was such a fun tournament. And then I got people who started sending me, hey, you know, the tennis was great. Here's all of the concerts that I had a chance to go see as part of that. So I get this from, uh, where, where was the list? Here it is. From Steve, I saw Clapton there. I saw Santana there. I saw Stevie Ray Vaughan there. I saw Robert Palmer there. Like I vaguely remember, like Jazz Fest. Um, that was that was be, that was there. Um, but again, I remember it more as a as a tennis venue. It was a great concert venue. And obviously now you've got another downtown concert venue. You've obviously got, you know, Ruoff slash Deer Creek that we use and, and and various settings and things like that. But it's a facility that I that I miss. And obviously I'm connected to it because it was the sport that I played in college. It was really cool to see so many people kind of respond without really kind of me prompting them you know, to do so yesterday. You know, it's one thing in a venue like this. Give me your tennis memories. 317-239-1070. And you call in and that's great. It was really cool to kind of see that yesterday. I just kind of put it out there in the Twitter sphere and said, hey, I'm thinking about this today. And I get these flood of tweets back. People going, yeah, man, I miss that. But part of the the spirit, the ethos of 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 that tweet and the response I got yesterday is also reflected or I think, well, I, I think it will be showcased in the All-Star weekend being here in February. And, you know, the RCA championships in their heyday and going back to kind of the clay court event before that, and I referenced Indian No Place in the last segment. 
And that was one of the venues that was part of the methodology to say, no, 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 this is, this is a good place and you want to be here and good things happen here. And we are proud of our Hoosierdom and showing off our Hoosier hospitality and showing what a wonderful place this can be. And we're kind of at a different place in a city as a city now. We're, we're in a different place, you know, socially in terms of, you know, our give back for events like that. So maybe, maybe that 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 spirit of volunteerism maybe isn't what it was. You know, life changes for all of us. Maybe it wasn't what, what it was in the 80s or 90s, early 2000s, but I hope we can get back to it. And even if the kind of the spirit of volunteerism has changed a little bit, I mean, there are, you can count on one hand the events that for whatever reason just didn't take off here. You know, these, these big, major national and international events that we tend to host here. And we're, we're so spoiled, the number of things that happen here. We're spoiled in one sense, we deserve them in the other. Because the facilities we have, the leadership we have here, uh, and the reputation for getting stuff done. And people having a great time when you are part of those events that are here. And maybe those things are cyclical. Because, you know, you've got the All-Star Game coming here. You've got the you know swimming trials that are coming here. So maybe we're seeing that kind of ramp back up and go in the opposite direction. Mark wants to talk a little tennis with me, a little verbal volley on the air. Hello, Mark. How are you? Very good, Greg. How are you? I'm good. Always good to hear you on the air and you do a fabulous job covering. You know, I, too, am a tennis player and a tennis fan, and you know people realize that for a long time, that tournament was both the women's and the men's draw at sure. the same time. Yep. Not very many around the country or the world to do that. But I remember seeing in the day, you know, Yvonne Lendl came, Connors came a couple times, Steffi Graf on the women's side. And I remember a clear one of Manuel Orantes, the South American <laughs> player, versus yep. Lendl. And Orantes aced Lendl a, a game. One, two, three, four aces. Bam. Lindell came right back in his game and did the same thing on clay. Yeah, that doesn't happen. <laughs> no, it's not. Strong show. What a what a wonderful tournament and wonderful memory for down there, as well as the concerts and yeah. the stadium. It really, really was a cool thing for the city. You know, and, and I would try to look, and Mark, thanks for the telephone call. Something as it relates to tennis. Um, Indy was kind of swept up. You know, the L.A. tournament went away. Um and there's others that I'm blanking on uh, that, you know, Indy's tournament went to Atlanta. Um, a lot of other tournaments have moved. Um, DC, I think, has, has kept theirs. And, and honestly, I don't follow as closely as I used to. I heard Jake Corey talking about this this week. Wimbledon is no longer the appointment viewing that it used to be for me. I, I It's kind of on in the background now. And I can kind of tell you the results. I just, again, life changes. I, I don't have the time to dedicate to say, I want to watch this for three hours. Nah, it, it just doesn't. And I was sitting here knowing I was going to be in this seat today and, and the reaction that, t- that tweet got yesterday. Um, and I was just like, what, what could be done? You know, there, there've been a couple of, of like the champions tours that have made their way through here. There was a Pete Sampras event uh, several years ago that unfortunately the weather was just God awful that night that they were in town. I know Jim Courier was in studio one time for a, 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 the champions tour event. Um, with JMB and he was great 
uh, in, in, in terms of his conversation. Um, you know, World Team Tennis, I'm not sure if it's still kind of a going or a thing. Back in the 70s, there was a team, the Indiana Loves, that played here. You ever heard of them? How about that? Um, I'd love to see something happen, but I, I, it's not going to be an ATP Tour event. It's just there are seemingly fewer and fewer of those in the States. Um, but I'd, I'd love to see something kind of fill that void. Now, I also figured I would get this uh, phone call slash email slash tweet today. Um, like all aging tennis players, the number one question in all of our minds is, when are you making a move to pickleball? So I got this from Brandon. Have you tried pickleball, Greg? A buddy and I are looking for some doubles. Um, Brandon, my schedule the next couple of weeks actually is is open, uh, especially like next week it's open. Um, I have been threatening to make the move to pickleball. And so, Brandon, if, if you have three and need a fourth, we'll work something out. Because seemingly a sport where I can still swing – and not have to move as much, that seems to be right up my alley. So, Bram, if you're looking for somebody to play, uh, I may just take you up on your offer. So, Bram, I got your tweet. I may be ready to make my pickleball debut. Uh, allow me to make a South Park reference on, on the way out the door. Remember the South Park episode where the boys are having wrestling as like the male soap opera? And like the 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 lines, the drama, the storylines are just, you know, remarkably amazing to rednecks. And there is the one guy, there's the one gym teacher that is like, you know, petrified about the fact that they're talking about not amateur wrestling or Greco-Roman wrestling, but professional wrestling. And they basically portray him like wearing like a singlet and headgear like the entire episode. I have been that guy in relation to pickleball. I'm like, no, I am a tennis player. Yeah, I, I, I think those days are starting to go by the wayside. Pickleball may be for me very soon. And Brandon, um, I'll take you up on that offer. We'll work out a time. I'll make my pickleball debut. You got three. I'll come and be the fourth, and uh, and we'll see how it goes. Nathaniel, great job today. Thank you very much. Thanks to our tremendous guest list, because without them, this show wasn't very good in the first place, but at least it was tolerable when those folks were on the program. Thank you to Kristen Eric. Congratulations on the birth of a new grandchild uh, to he and the family. Thank you to Lori Lindsay. And if you like that interview, you'll hear parts of it again coming up on Soccer Saturday uh, on uh, Saturday morning here at 9. Mo Egger of 1530 in Cincinnati. And thank you to Kevin Lee, who joined us earlier in the program. JMV is coming up next. Um, you'll hear me over the course of the next couple of weeks a great deal here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Pacers Summer League action tonight. Again, you won't see Ben Matherin, Andrew Nemhard, Isaiah Jackson. But you can see those rookies continue to develop their game and hopefully another Pacers W. Thanks and enjoy the rest of your Wednesday afternoon.